Welcome to Steam Powered Scoundrels, a Malifaux podcast. Episode 27, Haze the New Guys. I thank you, Zencaster, for being, me being able to let this out. I've had three ounces of rum. Hey, welcome to Steam Powered Scoundrels! I am your host, as always, unless you're here for. Briar, please. Are you kidding me? This is going great. This is a great start. Hi, I'm your host, Douglas Scoundrels, as always, unless. You were here last month where I was kidnapped and stuffed into Roman's basement. I have escaped and managed to hitchhike my way back to Iowa. Briar, will you be quiet, please? I know, I'm going to keep that in. This is on brand. We're on brand. Hey, folks, uh, we got a new faction here, and uh, y'all need to calm down. Okay, some of you. Some of you, you know who you are. You need to calm down. This is our episode about... Okay, this is our very serious talk about Explorers. Uh, you heard from all the other podcasts about how great they are and how wonderful they are. And we're going to do the opposite because no one's talking about how to beat them. This is an untapped market, folks. We're going to talk about how best to beat the Explorers. Because all y'all are probably panicking. You're reading these cards and like, oh my god, these things are so broken. How do I beat them? They're beatable, folks. Trust me. Trust us. Don't don't trust me. I'm not the best player out here, but I have some of the best players around that I could scrounge up. So first of all, joining us is Roman. Where did you find me again? I don't remember how I got here. Uh, you apparently were living in my temporary attic. Oh, great. The wormhole technology did work, and all I had to do was read about the Burning Man. What? Roman, living in my temporary attic, you know, he kidnapped me, and therefore, since I was in his basement, he was in my attic. Oh, okay. Clever. Okay. okay. Hey, there's Victoria. She's not, she's just being color commentary. She's sitting there drinking a beer, judging me. Moving on to new person. Hello, Chase Ferrario. I think I've said your name before. You have. Most definitely. In some fun ways, too. I've really enjoyed it. My entire data talks about it, too. It's great. Sharing a mic with Chase is John. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> I didn't say your last name because I figured I'd butcher it. It's just Plunkett. It's not a big oh. deal. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> I, my, my bad. And uh, last but not least, Robert Singer. Hey. Howdy. All right. And these folks, these folks have uh, some experience with this faction. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to use the P word, so I'm just going to say all of these folks have their names located in the Explorer's book. So uh, use that sort of logic to figure out what they've done for this uh, this faction. But we're going to go through, talk about uh, the general faction, some of the ways they play, some things you might want to expect, some ways to beat them, and then we'll go through each individual keyword and do that again, talking about what you're going to expect, possible gotcha moments, and then how to beat them. Because they are beatable. This isn't an absolutely broken faction, folks. It's going to be okay. In fact, I'm just going to title this episode, It's Going to Be Okay, because that's what I do. Excellent. In before uh, someone listening looks at the uh, beginning of the book and goes, wait a second, I don't see Rob's name in there. Guys, it's written in Invisible Ink right next to mine. We played a lot of games together. Okay. Womp womp. My bad. It's all good. All right. Okay. Oh, we're going to go ahead and talk about the faction as a whole first. So uh, generally, what are we going to expect? I realize we have show notes here, but go ahead. I'm just going to go down the list of people. Just go ahead and talk about what you wrote down or anything that comes to mind uh, as we talk. Because I haven't tested this as much as you folks have. 
So I'm just going to be here for color commentary and possibly some reminders. All right. So uh, starting out, let's go with Roman. Roman, uh, generally, what are we going to expect from the Explorer Society faction? Well, as you would expect from someone called the Explorers, they get around. They have a lot of mobility, uh, whether just from occasionally some high movement stats or some ride with me's or uh, some other new uh, actions such as onward which is a bonus action take another walk which doesn't sound great until you realize it's a whole other walk and it fits great with let's be mobile in another kind of standard human faction more often than not uh so yeah lots of lots of mobility and they get around also with that there's the emissary which fits in with another point of there's a lot of pretty high defense in the faction so yeah there's there is mobility and there is defensiveness they can get around and they can try to stay there between that and some some ping healing and shielded i'm gonna not just keep saying everything down the list someone else take it from me so i yeah the the defensive thing is kind of I think one of the big things that's probably a lot of folks are, are really concerned about, right, is that there are a lot of models with a lot of um, high or or average to high um, defense scores, probably more than a lot of other factions out there. Um, and you couple that with the amount of shielded and ping healing that um, is out there across crews, whether it's EVS or uh, Yedza or several of the others. Um, and you couple that then with taking the emissary who can, you know, uh, throw out shield and a lot of other like uh, abilities, not only to protect itself, but um, to, to take the hit essentially. So I think that uh, th- there's a, there's a surprising amount of staying power, but um, it's not all <laughs> for, for players uh, looking to play against explorers. It's not all dire when it comes to that, because uh, the, the flip side, and we'll get to this is that, you know, a lot of them actually don't have a, a ton of high health or a lot of, other types of defensive capabilities af- outside of uh, defense shielded in armor. I, I would, I would say the way you look at it, if you're a very traditional mini war gamer, who's not that familiar with Malifaux and how scoring works in Malifaux, it's going to seem like these guys are overpowered because if you would go at them, the traditional way of just trying to beat the crap out of them and then maybe score later, it's going to be a bit more difficult than other factions generally. Yeah, I mean, and I think that, uh, I think, you know, we'll kind of dive into this when we talk, start talking about the, the weaknesses. Um, yeah. But but I think that even though on the surface that look appears to be the case, there's, you know, again, if you've been playing Malfo for a while, and even if you're more of a, a aggro first uh, kill then scheme or kill then score uh, Malfo type player, there's still going to be a lot of ways that you can still do that effectively, even against uh, explorers, so. I think the the other big, uh, if we're looking at some of the other things to expect from them, there is um, a lot of being able to uh, look at the opponent's hand and and exert uh, hand pressure. We already see this a little bit um, if if you've played against McCabe in Thunders. There are going to be other shockwaves and things like that that are going to put pressure upon the hands, whether it's simple duels, shockwaves, uh, discard effects, um, a few other tricks here and there. So... You will see that again, which I know, you know, when you see it with, uh, you know, mobility and defense, well, you know, and hand pressure, those are, you know, kind of the three keys really to um, being able to to win Malfo games. But again, 
it's really kind of who has these things and not all the crews have access to them easily within keyword. And so it's kind of who has the synergy. Yeah. I think as you were saying, that's really what I think this faction can be summed up as, as teamwork. Totally. Like these are a lot of regular guys going on an adventure and it turns out you don't survive that <laughs> unless you work together. Yeah. And you know, and, and I think that part of that is that, you know, as, as folks are looking at things, you know, and to your point, Doug, about, you know, the traditional, like just, you know, beat em up mentality of gameplay is that there aren't a ton of beaters in the faction. I think that a lot, you know, there's still some really good ones. Don't get me wrong. There's some good beaters, but they are less uh, prolific than in some of the other factions. I'll put it that way. And specifically with even like within keywords, you may have like one, maybe two good beaters, but again, they might be cost prohibitive to other things that you want to do to actually play Malifaux and score. Uh, So you're not going to see them all the time. And I would say that the, you know, in a lot of ways, a lot of your damage dealers are going to be the masters themselves doing kind of tricky things to get their damage in. All right. John, have you said anything? Don't mean to put you on the spot, but. Uh, I mean, I'm just trying to stay quieter. Um, yeah. So one of the other things is, you know, we already mentioned it, is that there's a lot of synergy in here. I personally think that some of the keyword abilities are some of the strongest in the game. Um, they work really well together. They're really cool. Um, but that also comes for a lot of them at a high cost. Um, the other thing that I really notice when I see explorers is explorers have a lot. And you mentioned before, there's a lot of the beaters are usually unique. They're usually enforcers. They usually can't use stones. Henchmen tend to be supporty. So like you have some really interesting synergies there that are a little bit different than other factions and masters. And I'll kind of continue that around. Uh, with those unique models, you see fewer what you would kind of consider your baseline scheme runners. What we're generally seeing is more unique, like six to eight cost models that are doing your scheme running in this faction. So a little bit more durable, probably a few more tricks, but You've got one of them, not two to three. Which is definitely something that can be exploited. Oh, yes. Oh, should we go into exploits? <laughs> I, I think it's about that time. I very much feel like we should go into exploits. Okay, so generally, we are going to talk about how to beat, how to exploit the weaknesses of the Explored Society. So uh, we started with Roman. Let's go ahead and start with Chase this time. Let's go ahead yeah. and talk about some of the weaknesses of the explorers. Certainly. Um, so just like we said that there is pretty high defensive stat line, uh, on the other side of that is a relatively low willpower and a low movement stat line. Um, so if you, as you read through the cards, you'll see willpowers three and four, movement stats four, maybe five is the high in some keywords. So that's something that you can look at exploiting within your own crews. Like what do you have that attacks willpower and movement? And so we do say like high mobility, right? But that's through the movement tricks of actions and abilities, not the move stat itself. So generally, you know, stuff that targets move. There's at least a little bit in every faction. I think that's that's so. Uh, one thing I, I uh, time out is like I don't want to talk about exploits that like one faction can do because uh, that's not very useful to most of the game. I don't want to be like, oh, yeah. you just bring lantern of souls, you'll be fine. Yeah. Sure. Yep. <laughs> I mean, can, I, can I at least make a joke about taking uh, Pandora against uh, <laughs> Explorers? Because for a lot of folks who, who do complain about Pandora, her best friend will be Explorers. Okay. Oh, yeah. 
Well, explorers aren't going to like facing Neverborn in yeah. general. No, uh, honestly, they're, they're not at all. Neverborn's going to be so excited. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, John? Yeah, let, let's go to John. Okay. Roman mentioned it a little bit earlier, but, you know, one of the weaknesses to exploit is really that normal people factor. You got a lot of relatively low movement. You got a lot of synergistic um, free actions that work together with each other. You know, if you... But if you start focusing on them, they don't have the they don't have the wound pool. They don't have the defensive tech. Another thing is the upgrades. The upgrades are pretty good, but they're also pretty situational. So you know, the most of the time, if I was playing, I would be playing. Uh, like the ability to reduce damage also gives your opponent stones, which isn't that great in a lot of in a lot of matchups. Yeah, and to your point. Um... As far as like you know, the synergy goes is that you know again we talk about some of those uh, really important henchmen um, who are you know offering kind of key support or um, some of those uh, enforcers uh, that are vital beaters for the crew that do kind of a little bit more than just uh, laying the beat down. So those linchpin models, if you take one of those out, uh, it really disrupts the crew. And each each of these uh, keywords has one, whether it's sovereign sandwich. Sophie, uh, the dogs for Cooper, um, Gibson, Kaya, you know, Meredith, I, it, uh, across the board, they, they have these very key models. And even beyond just those, you know, even something like Seeker, you know, has key lich, linchpin models that are actually some of their minions. Like, you know, if you take out the lamplighters, uh, Seeker is going to be in real trouble. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to point out, Rob, uh, of like the first five of those linchpin models you mentioned, two or three of them were totems. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of cases in this uh, faction where the totem, not to say the the point of like, I don't know, dreamer and, and huggy where they're, you know, the, the master is lower cost because you have this big beefy totem. It's not necessarily that, but the totems are kind of more a, the complete picture with the master as opposed to, Hey, here's a free model you get. It occasionally helps. So taking out the totems or focusing them down, uh, or since there's a lot of interesting synergies that a lot of which are based on, uh, positioning or specific keyword interactions in this crew or in, in this faction, moving things out of the way or blocking line of sight or not even killing something, but if you can bury it or, again, move it away from where it is useful. Suddenly, if you can do that to a, you know, generally easier to deal with totem, suddenly your life got a lot easier. Yeah. And I mean, and that's kind of a good point as also for as what to expect. Um, by and large, um, I would say minus maybe, maybe bath. All of these totems are, are kind of vital to these crews. And so mm-hmm. you will see compared to a lot of other factions, I would say that, uh, explorers has some of the most uh synergistic and important totems for their for their masters and their crew so okay. um okay oh, yeah, go ahead oh, i was gonna say so the the another big thing too uh to to keep in mind um as far as weaknesses to exploit is um there are a lot of the power of explorers and probably for for some of the folks who might be uh looking at you know through the book or the cards on the app right now and uh just really like kind of you know, trying to think, oh my gosh, what am I going to do against all these like amazing triggers? Well, they are probably the most trigger dependent outside of maybe Arcanists of any of the the factions in the game currently. So stunned will be a, a really great tool 
uh, to to utilize against uh, or any honestly any trigger uh, negation ors and things like that. But stunned will be a, a key way to uh, disrupt what explorers want to do because they want to leverage their triggers in a really big way to get off a key you know those key scheme manipulation or hand manipulation or mobility tricks like we discussed a lot of those uh, are actually triggers and they're not always built in either so anytime that you can cancel or negate those are also going to really disrupt the plans of your opponent yep and say stunned i didn't really think about it too much until i started playing against a lot of explorers now it's one of the big things I focus on. But across the board, though, Explorers is not great at condition removal. Um, they have it on triggers, they have it on master actions, they have it on stuff like that, but there's no dedicated Nuki-style model that just has the spell magic or something similar, you know? It's always it's always something that, that comes at a cost. Yeah, I'd say you're, if you're seeing condition removal, it's typically on a master or the totem that comes with, typically on a trigger. Um, or you're seeing a hopeful prospect come in on their bonus action. Which removes everything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, double-edged sword. sword. <laughs> uh, yeah, they don't, they're not a great faction at it, so... I was going to say, just, like, it's something that you can look to. Yeah. If they're bringing it, it's pretty easy to remove it from the board most of the time. True. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. And if it's on a, if it's on a trigger, turns out you can't do that with stunt. <laughs> <Yep>. Exactly. <laughs> And then kind of going hand in hand with condition removal, people typically think support as in healing. There is, you know, there is healing within the faction. But in terms of like healing back large chunks, outside of Yedza's crew, they're really susceptible to large damage spikes. They have a hard time negating a lot of those big swings. And that kind of comes back. You, know, you have some of that ping healing to bring it back. You have little bits of shielded. That's, you know, pings here and there. Um, a large spike is very hard to recover from. Um, for many of the models. And that goes back to there's not a lot of like printed defensive tech abilities. Yeah. And and the other thing too, is that um, the healing that is in the crews too. I mean, it, you, we don't have, um, you don't have the actions like foul mouth motivations or like, you know, the healing energies or things like that, where you, you can manipulate or increase uh, the amount of healing done, right. Or just, you know, pour your actions in, or take a dedicated model. That's just going to be healing. Mm-hmm. The the only real masters are penches that I can think of that have anything kind of like that specifically is uh, Bass and Reicher, but you're investing a lot by taking a master or henchman actions into pouring or relying on them to just heal things that you need healed. Mm-hmm. On top of that, while they're susceptible to a lot of big damage spikes, they also, it's an odd bit of of crew in that they don't have that many things that have what we would traditionally think of as a as a beater like something with min three they do have a few things or rather it's more common in their quote-unquote beaters to see large damage spikes in their like severe damages Uh Uh, so they're going to be using focused or similar nonsense to do that if you can remove conditions offensively or if you can put distracted or other things on them to, Hard to wound. Miti- exactly. If you can mitigate their ability to cheat in uh, severe damage, you're going to put a pretty sizable uh, damper on their day. Yeah, but- and and to that point, ju- just to clarify, yes, there are min three beaters, but again, you've got maybe one per crew, and some crews don't even have them at all. 
And so, and, yeah. and you don't have the versatile access like you do with uh, 10 Thunders of having a lot of versatile uh, or, or guild, to be honest, um, a lot of like outside help without paying the tax to, to bring it back. And that's a hefty yeah. price because it's then disrupting the synergy of what the crew is actually supposed to do and does effectively for scoring. Yeah. Which also means that, you know, if you are looking for those big damage spikes, you're, you're using your, your hand, you're using your stones, you're spending actions to get focus just to try to set up one big hit. And if your opponent sees it coming and gets ready for it, then it may just fizzle. Big, big hit on, on uh, Explorer's crew. Here's, uh, I guess, a quick reminder, something I feel like some people have forgotten about the game, and it's very important here because, as we said, a lot of the uh, big damage dealers only have sizable damage on their severe. If your model can use stones, you can put a negative flip on that damage. Mm -hmm. I've forgotten that several times during games, and I really wish I hadn't because uh, putting someone on a negative is a lot more comfortable than being on on a straight flip or even a positive. But, oh, something else I noticed, and I don't know if this is going to last, but as we have been introduced to an entirely new faction here, honestly, they just have fewer models. You have Hmm. fewer things you have to worry about in this faction because they have roughly two-thirds, maybe a little more number of models than all the other factions have. Um, So you have at least that little bit of comfort in that you have to worry about just a little bit less. And I want to say that this crew is that that's crew. This faction is very elite. Mm-hmm. There Definitely. is not a lot of, of uh, cheap models in it. And so you can sort of work your way or understand that they're going to be bringing in probably more big heavies than you might be useful used to in other factions. And I, I want well, uh, to that point, actually, Doug, cause that, that's a really good one. I just thought of this is that one thing, um, both in you know in the games that I've already gotten in the games that I, I'm planning for you know as I play more and more factions is what I find and you guys tell me if you found this too is that I'm usually still taking the uh, more so than I do with some of my other uh, other factions and other keywords with the explorers keywords I tend to find myself taking a lot of the same models for specific keywords because I'm I find myself ha- feeling like I have to tailor uh, my crew to the scenario and less to what my opponent is, mm. because there's a lot, a uh, lot fewer options to just drop for tech. If that makes sense, that yeah, yes, there are situational things, especially with the upgrades and things like that. If you know, you know, if you're going into resers or something like that, some of the things to take. But it, it those ch- choices, those decisions, uh, feel a lot weightier than they do when I'm playing Arcanus or, you know, Thunders or Outcasts. I don't, I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah. I mean, as we play more and I like, I, I'm a guild player <laughs> coming into this. So for me, like bringing some of that stuff versatile or out of keyword is more natural, but in Explorers, it's, it's kind of harder to, to find some of those right fits yeah, I mean, I would agree. It's a lot. You're staying a lot more in keyword building for the pool, and if you're going to go out of keyword, you're probably going to pay a hefty stone price to bring something in. But you probably have like a plan for that model specifically in mind. Yeah. Um, it's not just something like I'm bringing this just because. It's I'm bringing this for this specific goal. Yeah, exactly. Especially since a lot of the explorers masters 
are so synergistic, they also tend to be a little bit clumpy and a little slow. So I usually see myself teching in out of key or versatile models that are just faster to get to my goals, which is great. I get the points. But it also means that now I'm, instead of building a 50-stone crew, I'm building a 45 or a 40-stone or a 35-stone crew for whatever else I need, you know? And it's just not, it's just not as explorery keyword feeling at that point. Yeah. And, and usually what I find is that, you know, you, you are sacrificing, you know, when you sacrifice that synergy in explorers, it actually hurts the, the crew itself and leaves you more open to these other weaknesses that we've talked about. These other exploits leaves you more open to get hit hard by some of those. Agreed. Kind of on the same feeling here. I've found that when I do bring versatile models, I'm more likely to bring two or even three that work well together and kind of form their own little kind of, usually they go as kind of a strike team over Mm -hmm. on one flank or something than I am to just bring like a versatile model. Cause it's again, even out of a specific keyword on the general versatiles, they still have synergies they want. And if you're bringing them into a keyword that doesn't provide those as well as it could, you're generally bringing another versatile to help with that synergy specifically. Yep. I was going to say, it just reminds me of the botanists where everyone, where they're really good and they could do some really fun stuff, but how many stones are you using to support them? And then how much does, does that take away from the rest of the year? It's just to grow those couple of guys up, you know, and is, is that going to be good in every game? I don't think so. So like, there's a lot of stuff that looks great on the card, but then when you actually start playing with it, you're like, well, Maybe I'll not do this every time. <laughs> yeah, this, this isn't something I'm putting in every crew. Yeah, as Roman and I like to joke all the time, you know, things look scary on the cards or on paper a lot of the time, but then once you get into the game, you remember, oh, I have to still play Malifaux, and playing Malifaux <laughs> is so different than planning. Yep, definitely something that to to say about the difference between on paper in a perfect Christmas land world versus actually on the table. Let's start talking about specifics. Uh, first up, obviously, the big meanie himself, Lord Justin Cooper from the Apex Keyword. Let's go ahead and talk about what to expect from him. All right, the next person to bother first is John. John, why don't you talk about Apex a little bit? Actually, I'm going to pass it over to Chase. He, Chase is, Apex, is the Apex player here. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, John what the guild player playing the guy with the big gun? Shocked, I say. Loads your mind. That, let's, see, let's see if I remember this. Nine fifty Nitro Express, which is a it's a small artillery piece at that point. <laughs> it was a massive hole in. Well, there's a, like elephant guns got up to like the seven hundred, so this is extra excessive. <laughs> yeah, the sperm whale gun. the rex gun i wish to to duel a narwhal (laughs) (laughs) all right chase then yeah um so cooper's got a huge ass gun um that's kind of his whole shtick he's also like a you know rich huntsman out hunting for game kind of a jerk yeah i know that's about as deep as his backstory goes but so you have to look out for his gun so that's a min three and it's a three, five, seven damage track. Um, yeah, he's pretty brutal. And he pairs that with an ability to put adversary apex on opponent's models. And then his keyword ability is predatory instinct, allowing him to add a positive to his attack. 
negative one damage, or vice versa, so he can move uh, positives to the damage. So what that means is that he's going to shoot you if he wants to shoot you, whether you have concealment or not, whether you have manipulative or not, and even if you have both. So you kind of can't hide. Kind of the big thing. And you should expect to see him try to take down at least one model a turn on his own. Yeah. And I want to also talk about the rest of the keyword. What are we expecting from them? Uh, more guns. Lots more guns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, w- whether it's the Huntsman, the uh, the Corps, Corps, there there's a lot of effective range shooting. In addition, uh, across, across the board in the keyword, uh, the, the main keyword ability, the predatory instinct, is pretty strong, so it allows them to uh, suffer a negative flip on an action to receive a positive on damage, or vice versa, which can be very strong. It is only once per turn, but it is a powerful ability to have uh, across the board, whether it's you know, minions, your, your hench, your enforcers, or the master. So uh, so that's something to, to be mindful of, is that there could be a lot of accuracy or leveraging focus to not worry about the accuracy if somebody, you know, if you're opponent has a lot of cards in hand um and they're really trying to spike that damage up so those are things to expect and then i'll pass it to somebody else to to talk about the the two coolest parts of the crew uh, aesthetically at least in gameplay (laughs) for me the two coolest parts of cooper are obviously the rex and model nine you know the rex is enormous on its hilariously small base and does some great damage. It has a. I really love its zero to throw people around. Um, but you know the territory one's not a no, not a shabby one either. Um, Model nine, great for different ways. He's sturdier. He's more like he's more synergistic with Cooper himself. Honestly, in my mind, it's one or the other, not both, because they're so expensive. But I would take either one without feeling bad about it. And a point to make there is. Because you don't know those until you know the until you're exchanging crews, essentially, you don't know which defensive capabilities to tech for as the opponent. Like you always want some armor ignore because of Cooper, but Model Nine has armor too, and really can't be pinned down. Versus your Malosaurus Rex, lower defense, but there you have your terrifying and hard to wound. There's not many crews that without prepping for it, are going to be able to ignore all of those at once. Mm-hmm. And the dino is also ruthless. So this is mm-hmm. one of your few ruthless models in the faction. Which actually I would say, going back to weaknesses, that's another thing. Uh, that's a big thing, is that mm-hmm. they are going to struggle against terrifying and manipulative in a big way. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. So, so in addition to, I would say, yeah, yep. just in addition to the dinosaur and the mechanical construct, uh, Cooper's also got his best doggos, uh, Artemis and Uller, um, and they're going to be the ones running the schemes um, after they support moving the crew forward. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd be surprised if against Cooper for the first few months, you don't see both dogs, and even after that, they're just so helpful to the crew. Uh, would you, well, which one would you expect to see more often if you had to only take one? Um... So I, I think it's going to depend on the yeah. pool, honestly. Yeah. Like, I think Uller has more helpfulness to Cooper personally. Um, because of Flush them out, he can get Cooper out of engagement, um, and Cooper can't disengage. So between by your side and Flush them out, he can always get Cooper out once per turn. 
And it also makes him a very strong schemer if you're bringing either Artemis, the dinosaur, or Model 9. But Artemis is also really good. Like, move six and nimble. You just can't can't deny how good that is. Ah. I'd probably yeah, Artemis is more is more scheme and scheme denial. Uller is more offensive defensive movement trickery. Yeah, yeah. the 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 okay. reason the reason you'll also see just the two of them together a lot though is because of Uller having what do you call it a by your side, and so you know you speed Artemis up the board, then you can discard and have Uller, you know, over there too. And so there's, or sorry, yeah, yeah. And so there's just. It's hard to see them, you know, separated a lot of the time, and it's hard to see a lot of the time of why you would just take one over the other because of how mobile and how important both are. Yeah. Yep. I was going to say, if I was going to make a choice and I had to choose one, I would stick. Artemis is great, but Artemis is a great scheme runner. And if I'm going to, I can spend two more stones for, you know, two or three more stones for an out of key, um, really good scheme runner to take its place. I can't really find something out of key or versatile to give Cooper more focus so he can shoot his gun more often. Okay, cool. I'll the answer to that. All right, let's move on to potential gotchas with the crew. Just letting you know, in you know, these aren't necessarily always going to happen, but when they do, they're going to really, really, really suck. So we figured we'd give you guys a bit of a heads up so that you can possibly avoid these situations. Who wants? Who wants to take the first one? Yeah, I can take that. Um, hey. So we've talked. We've been talked about the movement in this crew already, but like between the flush them out, between the T Rex with lashing tendrils, there's ways to get Cooper up the board so that he's close enough with his 14 inch gun to shoot the model first activation in their deployment zone, or you know, his first activation turn one, shoot a model off the table in their deployment zone. Not that hard to do. Uh, but it is kind of a table flip moment the first time you run into that and you're like, oh, awesome. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm 100% the kind of person that's going to get really salty if I don't even get to activate a model and it's dead. Yep. It's like, it's like wait a minute, I had to put that in a bush in my own deployment zone. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Behind a building. Behind a building. Yep. <laughs> yep. Pass a pass a couple bucks to your TO to add extra terrain to the table. <laughs> yeah, we'll good get idea. To that. All right. Who wants to talk about Ola? Or Ula? I'll I'll take it. Uh, as we've already kind of touched on, uh, Uller has by your side, which outside of Rezzers is fairly rare. But with that, a few other things on the front of his card really make that annoying. Like he can jump to any non or in, any higher than minion. Uh, in the party or in the crew rather, which then puts all damage flips against the friendly models near him, including the one he just jumped to and always to himself at a negative. So taking them out is harder. Uh, and he's not, uh, he doesn't count for friendly fire. So essentially he can jump up to something and with either flush them out or I've got your back go, Hey, get out of, get out of Dodge. And then Cooper doesn't care about Uller to shoot them. So, He's he's essentially a tracer round for and the, the there's going to be a tremendous amount of versatility also with who he can do by your side with because he only costs six. Yep. And I was just saying before these are very elite crews, so I don't know how often this is happening, but the dogs might be the cheapest models in your crew. 
Uh, I think, I mean, I think actually... most of his models are cost six, actually. Yeah, the Huntsman are six. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, un- unless you hire a, a hopeful prospect, most likely they are either cheapest or tied for cheapest. So, and then uh, the, the other big gotcha that you'll see is that that predatory instinct that uh, we've already talked about with uh, taking a minus on damage to add a plus on the attack, or sorry, or vice versa, it works with non damaging attacks too. So if something doesn't have a damage tra- track, you can still be like, cool, I'm going to take a negative on damage so I can have a plus on the attack. And so the latching tendrils on the, uh, the mouse source Rex, that's just going to toss you around. It just makes it easier for them to hit. And uh, yes. And to get the rip and tear trigger to then, you know, be able to go and make some yep. nasty jaw uh, attacks at you. So that's a, that's a big thing to keep, keep uh, an eye out for. Cause it will feel bad if you go into a game and not know or realize that. Oh, one more gotcha that I just thought of. The adversary that you gain by killing a runaway mm, cannot be removed if Cooper can see you at the end of the turn. So, like, don't want to be surprised if you come to the end of the turn and the Cooper player is like, oh, by the way, you can't remove that. Keep it on them for next turn. And then I'm just going to shoot you. <laughs> so, like, just remember, that one can't be removed. If he gives it to you other ways, that can fall off just fine. Yeah, good call out. Weaknesses, right? Yeah. Yep. How do we deal with these things, guys? Uh, well, we already talked about one, which is uh, Cooper himself can't disengage on his own. Uh, so being able to try and target him and honestly targeting Uller is a big deal. And if you can get you know, Uller, then, and then you can get to Cooper, you're going to disrupt all lot of what cooper wants to do which is to use the mobility of his other models and then shoot into combat with them to you know kill you with his nitro as a um one way to i always deal with them is cooper takes a lot to keep going he needs focus they need triggers they need bonus actions they need cards with to actually get things through like they are a very resource heavy crew and if you get, if they get a bad hand or if you have a way to fight against it, you can just kind of tear him down and to the point where he has one good hit the entire round. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to that point, you know, also with how much they rely on their bonus actions, stunned is going to just wreck his day. Yep. Well, and on top of that, uh, outside of kind of the, the tent poles of the crew of, either model nine or, or the Rex, or if someone decides to bring both crazily and Cooper himself, most of his minions are either squishy or, you know, at least moderate minion squishiness. And even those that have a six defense, they have a four willpower. So there's always some fairly open Avenue to deal with the not big in your face models. So if you can kind of play keep away while you're, clearing them out you can do a bit better against them yeah and 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 to that point um because they a lot of these uh minions um and even honestly uh Oler and artemis to a certain degree as well everybody's very susceptible to conditions and so conditions that really disrupt play like slow and distracted and things like that they're you know distracted it's a little bit different because of uh predatory instinct but these conditions especially if you know they get stacked up or um, can kind of overwhelm you they're going to really cause a lot of lot of troubles and a lot of disruption. Um, slow and stunned, I would say, probably are going to be the two worst for them to have to deal with. Yeah. Um, 
And of course, it is at the end of the day, it's a shooter crew. So if you have concealment, uh, manipulative cover, etc., you will be able to stop Cooper from really being able to blow you off the board. A single type of of terrain trade or a single defensive tech isn't really going to help you too, too much. But if you're able to stack it, if you can have concealing and hard to wound, or if you can have um, hard cover and concealing for against some of the people or manipulative or throw a stack of uh, distracted on somebody, then you can really make it so it's that you don't have any good person to really hit with those guns. Also, uh, mobile mobile uh, melee crews, I think, mm. will also have a, a yeah. real fun time against yeah. Then then it'll be the, the question of do you tech for dealing with Model 9 or the Rex? And hopefully you'll be able to learn to read the pool to see which one they're going to bring. Yep. But even if they, you know, even if you choose wrong, if you're bringing a mobile uh, melee crew that has a little bit of staying power, you can still gum up one of his key pieces for a couple of rounds before they all die. And then what can you do? You know, the Rex has been stuck engage with two models for two turns. That's the, probably the worst thing the Rex can, that can happen to the Rex. Yep. yep. And on, on that front, honestly, it's good to bring armor against them. There's nothing in here that really ignores armor. Or shielded. Yeah. So if you're bringing an armor to something and the Rex is going, well, I'm hitting you for min one, like not a great use of their Rex. Yep. Throwing a nice golem at the Rex is a hilarious um, affair. <laughs> Wasted that so I much. Know from experience. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we've pretty well covered that keyword. What say we jump over to those rapscallions and the wastrel keyword and see how McCabe runs differently in Explorers rather than Thunders? So different. You want to cover that one, Rob? Sure. So there's a lot of uh, similarities with how McCabe himself is going to play. You know, he he still wants to find the the right minions or other Q models to kind of, you know, rush into combat and put hand pressure on and then, you know, skedaddle out of there with, uh, ride with me and go off and scheme and, and do the stuff that McCabe himself does. But for folks who have been familiar playing against him with Thunders, one of the, the key things with him is that because a lot of, you know, he was missing models, of course, that were just released here with, uh, Explorers, specifically the, uh, Jesse and Cryptologists and the, uh, writers but he doesn't have the access to the fast uh, mobile tricksy versatile beaters that he has in 10 thunders so in thunders you're probably used to seeing any combination of the dragons or uh, the samurai or fuhatsu or you know any combination thereof with with those uh, figs in his crew you don't have those threats and so he has to leverage the mobility a lot more um, so I, I would say, um, you guys correct me if, uh, if I'm wrong here, but I, I know at least in my games and, and Roman's games that we've both taken uh, explorers with him, uh, he tends to take both writers. Um, he le- loves to take Vernon and Wells and really try and leverage mobility and become far more of a, a fast um, schemer and harasser on his crew writ large, as opposed to uh, somebody who's going to force you into a lot of bad uh, bad choices all around by getting in your face and being very aggro like he is in Thunders. You'll see a lot more uh, coupled with that mobility because of the writers um, and because of the greater uh, breadth of mobility. You'll probably see Sadir a lot more taken with him as well. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see a lot more shooting 
coupled with that um again that that harassing and and being very strategic um uh, of placement with the models and definitely he'll he'll lean more into the keyword because of some of the other ways to to get markers and manipulate markers with uh, some versatile models especially a model like tannenbaum who we'll get into later um there's going to be a lot more ways to um really manipulate uh you know getting his loot and get you know getting the the cards at the beginning of the turn you'll probably see a lot more uh use of his upgrades as well because he just actually has more uh, wastrel and minion models to put them out on too so you'll see a lot more support from him than you have in the past as well uh like i said as opposed to uh the the crazy aggro yeah i was gonna say i feel like explorers mccabe plays a little bit more like I can only imagine the devs thought everyone was going to play McCabe, which was going to be very fast, very fragile, very um, upgrade focused, rather than, you know, in your face doing damage and then still running across the board. <laughs> Oops, 10 Thunder Versatiles. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> you know, and, and it's funny too, though, that just, you know, from a flavor standpoint, because both sort of feel like him. Yeah. Like, oh crap, I, I you know, awakened these ancient monsters. Yeah. So where's some gotchas? Huh, well, I will. I can jump on those. Uh, yes, go, Roman, go. Yeah, the big gotchas with McCabe are the same as they are in Thunders, minus the issues from the versatiles. Essentially, he can get in your face and cause a bunch of target numbers, and you will no longer have a hand with which to play the game, or if you don't use that hand, he will squish a model but the rest of his crew will be doing other things and actually scoring points. Uh, of note in here, he likes bringing Vern- Vernon and Wells, and they, despite their big mono wheel, are short enough that he can ride with me, uh, with them, which is pretty hilarious if you think about it. Just let me put a hula hoop on this horse, and we'll move <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, I didn't realize they're only size two. Oh yeah, it, it, it's it's as glorious as him doing Ride With Me with the Dawn Serpent. It's just, it makes no sense, but it's awesome and silly. See, at least the Dawn Serpent has wings, so he could like, I don't know, put a leash on it and be like, come yeah. with me, we're going That's for fair. a walk. That's fair. <laughs> I'm just imagining like draped, draped around his shoulders, like a this glorious constrictor. He just net guns it and then drags it behind the horse. <laughs> I, mean, I, I like to think that with uh vernon wells though since you know they've got this whole like you know rocket theme to them that maybe they're just you know kind of like floating like a hovercraft behind does the horse get in the seats with them is that the image oh, without, that's a, without a doubt yeah. that makes a more reverse sense. ride with me <laughs> yeah ride with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, the horse gets in the seats with them and then mccabe carries the mono wheel on his back the, the master gets <laughs> gets in the seats with them and then the human on top of him carries the entire group <laughs> yeah that's yeah, what i said I mean, yeah the, the horse is the master but other other ride with me nonsense uh also of note mccabe is height three so are the the rough riders so they can also carry vernon wells and anybody if the bellhop is around can carry either the bellhop himself or the emissary uh with that give them a lift so watch out for giant phalanx wow i can't think of words watch out for that giant phalanx stone lion uh coming at you via horse taxi oof that's yeah. it, the 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 placement <laughs> has to be careful with that one but it's it's rough it's rough when when it happens it's rough what weaknesses do we have to uh <laughs> trip up those horses guys john you want to take this 
I mean, I never have hit these weaknesses because my hands are always amazing. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Every game. Um, weaknesses, though. I mean, a lot of the same kind of weaknesses General McCabe has. He's still focused on on uh, markers, and especially if you're bringing Jesse, he's expecting to either flip some or at least target some to try to draw stones off of. So if you can get those out of the way, get them away from people, that is always a, always a help. Ride with me's on the on the rough riders are great, but it's a high TN, and so now you have a crew with even more high TNs if you're staying in keyword. Um, so if you all if you're planning for all your ride with me's at what sevens, and then you're also doing secret passages for pretty much a seven or an eight, also like you are not saving that many for any actual attacks. Not to mention leap on Desper, who's going to be in pretty much every crew and exactly. false claims. And, and false claims. So there's so many high TNs there that if you can't, if you're not top decking high cards, you're saving half your hand for those TNs. And then the final one is if you're bringing a more wasteful crew, you're bringing a more fragile crew. And if you're bringing out a key models, they're slow, way, way slower than 10 Thunders McKay models. Like bringing the, bringing the Brock in is amazing. You have irreducible damage to go and put a sword on, but then they're also move forward and you have no ways to teleport them forward. Other than ride with me, so you know you have another you have a nine stone out of key model that is dragging your whole crew down a little bit, or you're all spending actions to support them. And they're size three anyway, so if you're bringing them, you have to bring the porter. Exactly. Yep. So they're not even easy to move around with ride with me. You also don't have the the greater access to healing, like bulk mm. healing, uh, that you have in thunders as well. That uh, McCabe tends to exploit uh, a great deal. So. Turns out he did not smuggle a tanuki in his saddlebags. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. You also lose out on the upgrades to help support McCabe being, you know, you can't get it. You can't make a stealth McCabe. You can't make a hard to kill McCabe. Only thing you can do is make McCabe pay people off with soul stones, which isn't quite as good as either of those other two options. Yeah. The, the upgrades is a great point too. God, I love flush with cash. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll get onto this in the side uh, of recording, great. but it's great. It's such a great visual image, especially since you can actually put, you can make the world's richest dinosaur. I, I'm, I'm going to make the dinosaur with the bowler hat and the ca- fan of cash. I have to do that. Okay. <laughs> I I already I already see Roman right now just scribbling that idea. Yeah. And yep. We also like the worm with flush with cash, like flinging those dollar bills from somewhere, barfing <laughs> them up. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I see. I see the worm in a bow tie. <laughs> yeah, but the worm is act not a sandworm. It's an underground vault worm. I mean, <laughs> I'm just gonna put arm garters all the way up the worm, <laughs> <laughs> and a monocle. You got to add the monocle. Mm, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> One of those eyes gets a monocle. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I think we. We don't have to spend too much time on McCabe or Bass, which we're going to get to next because we've already seen those guys. So let's continue on to Bass and the Frontier keyword. Um, what are we expecting from them that's different from Bass into Guild? No Guild models? <laughs> <laughs> guild models no, are terrible. No Kale Rider. Didn't you hear it? Guild, guild models are the worst. <laughs> No comments. <laughs> so, so the big one, no pale writer, uh, who is kind of ubiquitous in a lot of uh, bass crews um, for guild. But part of the b- big reason is that you're going to see the again we've already talked about in the rough riders. You're going to see them a lot in his crew. Um, you're also going to see the the new model, the sandworm, uh, which is kind of the 
when, when you get it on the table, uh, when you play against it, when you play with it, you will realize, wow, this feels like the piece that was always missing from the Bass crew, which was some sort of like slightly more mobile beast for Paul Crockett to exploit and min three beater who can throw out some conditions to, to disrupt the opponent and allow everybody else to do, do what they need to do. So uh, I think those were probably going to be the two biggest uh, changes that you'll notice is that those two new frontier models uh, we're going to see a lot of um, and really make the, the frontier crew. You also see a lot of guns because he has lots of shooting, but hey, that's also guild. So what else do you guys think? So typical bass, he likes to use terrain against you. So you need to really be wary of getting into terrain, getting pushed around, pulled around in it. Um, especially since they uh, are essentially unimpeded and gain cover in severe terrain. Um, so you need to watch out for that. And Explorers helps provide a little bit more of that too. Like Bass can bring in um, the Creeper out of the Cadmus crew, who provides more uh, severe webs um, oh. and another beast. Yeah, so it's like it is a nice little bit of synergy there because it fits in. But like, there's there's definitely ways that you can probably cheese up bass a bit more with explorers. Well, yep. I want to point out something, and I was just relooking over the frontiersmen that got errated last year, and I honestly think with their with their changes and a little bit more healing, like this crew is is used well, surprisingly tanky, uh, because mm-hmm. essentially every turn after at least one of them is gone they're going to be in or behind uh, their concealing dust markers. So to shoot at them, you're at a negative. And if you're doing that, they also have cover, which means most of them are at defense six and you're at an auto negative to, they they essentially have built in hard to wound at that point. So these guys are honestly some of the tankiest ones in explorers outside of seeker, obviously. Yeah. And and the fact that you, you know, Bass and uh, Reicher do have a, a pretty strong heal on them, and the fact that you know some of them can can heal extra based off of that heal really helps helps the crew out. So the the only other big thing that I would say that that's different with uh, this is just the the things that you know some of those versatiles are going to bring to the table. Um, you can do a, a way speedier list but again by bringing in like Vernon Wells. I will say that uh, actually with this crew too, expect to see Tannenbaum. Oh, frequently uh-huh. hired in uh-huh. as well because the way that he can um and we'll get into him later but the way that he uh, manipulates markers and moves markers and can you know take those dust markers and turn them into scheme markers um or add scheme markers and then add another scheme marker um is really powerful and very strong and also just throwing in ancient words is something that you know the the opponent if they're planning on uh you know cover helping them and things like that well you know ancient words isn't going to care <laughs> Yep. It also brings in a willpower attack to the crew that you would expect exactly. mostly defense duels. So it can target a, something you're not really planning on too much. Yep. And you can get them into position again pretty easily because of you know having three ride with me's in the crew. Yep. yep. It's a bit of a gotcha, but one other thing with especially with the addition of the sandworm now is his sandstorm attack does have an ability to keep dust clouds up after the turn ends. So that's one thing that you would never really would have seen so far with the base with the bass crew is that usually those those markers are all gone, so you don't have to worry about that concealing cover, etc. By the end, by the beginning of the next round. Yes. Yeah, and 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 that one is 
it, that one will feel like a gotcha the first time, and then it's just going to be ubiquitous. Yes. Because, you know, I, I, I guess that's actually probably the biggest thing to expect just in general is that they're just going to stay now most of the yeah. time. You're going to probably see them staying on the board for like two thirds of the game. The useful ones. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's quickly get into some gotchas. We haven't done gotchas yet. We're, just, we're, starting, we're starting on gotchas. Let's go to gotchas. Sure. So, so the biggest one, and if you've played against him in guild, you'll know that uh, if you're in severe terrain, uh, Bass can teleport you out of that terrain. And so if it's like a forest, he's going to teleport you all the way to the other side of that forest to be a jerk. <laughs> and and, uh, and yeah, it's it's really good. It's it's one of the key big things. It, you know, he provides a, a, an amount of control that you know if you're if you're not expecting it will will really disrupt your day. And if you're playing a crew that's not super fast, or if you're playing models that have already activated, um, it's really going to disrupt your plans. So uh, that's I'd say the biggest gotcha with Bass himself. Um, outside of also, I'll say that claim the bounty, his bonus action of remo- removing all uh, ski markers within four inches. Uh, four inch pulse from him will just ruin your day if you're taking planning to take leave your mark against him. Just don't, just don't take it against just him. Don't, because he also gets to draw a card for each of those ski markers that you've just dropped. Uh-huh. So yeah, just just don't feed the bass. Yeah, just just yeah, just <laughs> don't just don't feed the fish. <laughs> so yeah, so that's the big one. And then the other thing, and this is kind of a a really like uh, it's going to be niche, but you will see it. You'll see Oler taken in this crew with Paul Crockett. I'm not going to go into the full details. If people want, they can ask in the show notes or on you know the Discord and stuff. But uh, Paul Crockett can, with his long carbine attack, uh, if he's targeting a model that's engaged with Oler, uh, basically generate uh, a total of four attacks off of his one shot. It is a little hand intensive and and things like that. But uh, from one shot, he can end up getting four total a- uh, actions and attacks onto the target model, which <laughs> oof. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty gross. It does work. It's weird, but it works. Okay, quickly point out, and uh, I'm sure other people have said this, but just to remember that trapping jaws on the sandworm covers all negative flips. So not just concealment, but also friendly fire and intimidating authority and manipulative and serene countenance and all all of those things it just ignores that which is a lot more powerful than you might initially see oh actually sorry one more gotcha and it's a small thing but it's not bass has gunfighter and i think that a lot of people forget that that if you can't get the shot you know eight inches from you he's going to just charge you yeah another another thing i would like to point out similar to cooper honestly the more i look at it outside of bass Jonathan and the sandworm, nothing in this crew really wants to be engaged. The best melee there is is five, and it's on a two three damage or two three four damage track. Yeah, and they there they aren't getting their cover that I mentioned earlier in their defense six and everything. So get in their face. Just not the three that I mentioned earlier. They like it fit in your face. <laughs> I don't think you have much of a choice against the worm, but <laughs> and, and and that and that brings us into like the weaknesses, yes. right? Is that these min- minions are not the best in melee. Uh, yes, the the riders can get out with ride with me, but also they a big weakness with them is that their melee it, range is only zero inches. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of ways that you can leverage and exploit that uh, where you can get engage them, but they are not engaging you. Yeah, and as we mentioned in the wastrel section, their ride with me needs like a seven. 
It's yep. it's not an inconsequential card. Yeah. So you're you're putting pressure on the crew. The crew again has a lot of really awesome triggers uh, that they want to get off. So stunned and other things like that. And the crew relies in a big way on their bonus actions across the board, really. And so stunned will really, really, really mm-hmm. hurt them. And I, I, I wasn't around to discuss that when this came up with the Apex talk, but even if they manage to circumvent your way of disrupting them, you're still disrupting them in the fact that you're taking away actions or bonus actions that they might use in, in better ways. So they might top deck the seven for that ride with me, but if they have to use that ride with me to get out of engagement of you, they're not using it elsewhere. Absolutely. So, you know, they might have to use the dog to get Cooper out of engagement, but they have to use the dog to get Cooper out of engagement instead of using it in a more offensive way. Yeah. Agreed. And I think that's, that's almost a general thing with explorers across the board. You can usually get away from whatever you need once, you know, if you, if you get yourself an engagement or whatnot, but it takes valuable AP to do it. It's, I'll bring it up later, but it's, it's a big one in the syndicate crews too. Yeah. Yep. I think mm-hmm. we didn't mention this, but generally slow is more powerful against explorers. Yes. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, yes. I didn't mention it, but I guess it goes hand in hand with the fact that they kind of have to be more elite. So taking away AP from them is going to be more beneficial than it might against other factions. Yeah. Staggered is also pretty good, though. Oh, yeah. If, with all the movement tricks and stuff. Not yeah, because then you, you know, even, even, yeah, because even with the, you know, you've you've got basically two models. You've got either slow models or you've got really fast models in in explorers. And so the slow models you're going to make even slower with staggered, and the fast models you're going to make average with it. Yeah. yeah, and then the slow models can't take advantage of those ride with me's when they're staggered. Oh yeah, yep. exactly. All right, should we move on? Oh, we we didn't explode. We talk about killing the world. Oh, and the the, the sorry the the. Yeah, the big the biggest weakness also yeah it, it, a way a great way now to attack the crew is attacking the worm. If you can go after it, yes, because it you know has its ability to to bury and that sort of thing can sometimes make it a little bit trickier. But going after it, going after it hard, it also has uh, low willpower and low defense. With the, its main saving grace being it's hard to wound. And the other thing is that things that you know can attack or manipulate. Uh, things that are buried and when they come back onto the board and that sort of thing can also really disrupt play. I did actually get a game in against Terra and it was difficult. <laughs> I can only imagine. Oh, man. Don't worry yeah. about it. I, 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 still, I still managed doing okay in that game, but boy was the worm just a lot more trouble than he was worth. I, oh. d- don't worry about if it buries because that's still very, very beneficial to you because you don't have to worry about the jaws and you don't have to worry about it being able to scheme next turn anyways when it comes back yep. up. Or even on that front, if they took, say, Vendetta on it, if it comes up next turn, even if it does damage and gets all the all the points they need to do to achieve the first point of Vendetta, it doesn't count. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and the worm has to show up in severe terrain. So you can almost control where you're going to interact with it on the board if your board is very sparse on severe terrain. Because gotcha. now he's relying on just the dust clouds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then as you said, you lose jaws. You also lose the keeping the dust clouds up the next round yeah. because you spent for the trigger now, and now it's useless because you buried. So you just lost a a valuable card that you're not even using anymore. All right, 
Let's move on to EVS. Otherwise, we're going to be here all night. EVS, or Explorer's Vessel Superior, for all of us enlightened people. <laughs> this is okay. We're getting into the new stuff, the definitely new stuff. This is Maxine Agassi, pronounced Agassi, and she's a very, oh goodness, she is complicated. She is very complicated. Who wants to talk about what to expect from Maxine? <laughs> I took the last two, so somebody else take this one. All right, fine. All right, so. <laughs> I, I love her, but somebody else take it. Yeah, I was going to say, I love and hate Maxine at the same time. I think I've played her as much as i played against her. So um, one thing off the, top of the, off the top that you'll definitely see when you're, seeing, when you're playing against Maxine is Deep Discovery and Reconfigure. There's so much card manipulation in this keyword that you're constantly going to be telling your opponent to, yeah, no, move your, move your discard so I can see it more and actually put those cards in the right order because I need them there. It's very cool, and they, she has a lot of stuff on her card that, that really helps it out by allowing you to draw more cards when you cheat and whatnot. So she's definitely great on that. You also should expect to see a lot of conditions, both good and bad, because she can just choose conditions and give them out. So her giving her models fast or giving focus two to somebody or giving fast to two models or giving slow to a couple of your models, like all of those things are things that you can see her doing. Um, her keyword is actually kind of mixed on defensive tech because she has some armor models. She can give out, they can give out some shielded, they can do some ping heals. So she has a few things going for her to just kind of keep herself tanky. Keep the robots tanky. Keep the robots yeah. tanky, which is actually a weakness, but <laughs> yeah, the people are weak. The robots are strong. Well, and also just one call out, not specifically on how this crew plays, but this is going to be a crew where people have to remember, oh, right. When I flip a card, it isn't already in the discard pile. It's in the conflict, and I need to not put it on top of the discard pile so Maxine can see what the top card of my discard is. Yep, exactly. Boo. Yes. Sorry, I, I do uh, that. I do that because it's a lot easier for me. Not gonna have to, I'm <laughs> I, learning. I think most people do. Yeah. Yep. Like, same here. One of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So also with Maxine is her good friend Kia, who I think is the captain technically. Um, okay, here's 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 this bullshit. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I, you, you triggered me. Okay, we're gonna talk about this. Okay, Maxine has on her card Captain of the Superior, but we also read in the fluff that she has nominated Kia as the Captain of the Superior. So, not entirely sure what it is. I still believe that uh, Kia is actually the the Captain because Maxine is the smart person, is the master of the crew. But when things get involved with ships, you do have a person that is the captain that knows about seafaring. Maxine is a genius, but she doesn't know about ships as much as Kia would. So in a situation that involves the survival of the crew, usually the captain would take over. And that's kind of not how the story worked out, but whatever. Anyways, that doesn't matter at all to this podcast. Let's move on. (laughs) Take take it up on Saturday. Yeah, sure. yeah I'll take it up on Saturday. <laughs> right. So you're going to see Kia. Kia is the hench uh, henchman of the crew. She also does irreducible damage and is ruthless. So like you're definitely going to see Kia. I think early on you'll see alpha strikes with Kia um, because Maxine can make her fast or give her focus or the shielded that she needs to turn on the irreducible. Um, they've also got Tide Collar who has toss. So in terms of mobility, Maxine will give Kia, you know, faster focus, 
Tide Collar will then shoot her up the board 10 inches. Uh, and suddenly you've got Terminator Kia bearing down on your crew. There's also other mobility in this keyword. So again, making people fast, but then there's also Beeb and Calypso as a unit together. You can make the pair of them fast. And so suddenly you've got this robot octopus squid uh, running up a flank, um, getting, you know, what is that? Like eight walks in a turn if you let them go. Because <laughs> it's, well, they've got one move. So st standardly 24 inches. Messing with it, it's 32. Um, or the only thing worse than like tentacles that. is fast tentacles. He <laughs> <laughs> does have massive tentacles on the card. Yeah. So there's just like lots of ways to get movement in this crew. Yeah. I was going to say, Tidecaller is the most interesting one for me for the movement side because I don't know about anyone else, but I almost never toss anybody in M3E. And then I played EVS and I was tossing three models around more often than not. So it's, it's definitely a bit of a switch to realize exactly how useful that could be when you get it on a free action. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, the number of times I've buried Kia with Colette's sword just to have Kia tossed right back in my face. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did that to you. You did. <laughs> repeatedly. I was upset. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about... I mean, let, can we move on to gotchas? Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I, I, I can cover it because we only got one here. Because round one exists and round one is very good for turn one, is good for setup, you will more than once happen to stumble across Kia doing 12 irreducible damage in her activation against you. It sucks. Oh it God. sucks a lot. Yes, it does. But uh, once, once you see it coming, you might be able to mitigate it a little bit easier. And once she... Once they don't have the opportunity or it's more difficult for them to do the setup with Maxine. She's a lot easier to handle. I think yep. another gotcha I think is going to happen is that you are just going to fail a lot of duels and it's going to be very frustrating. Yeah. I, I think that's the biggest, biggest one that's going to be tough for most folks at first is that you're not going to be able to easily judge your opponent's hand the way you normally can. Yep. Because they're they you're not going to be able to know whether they're holding onto a joker or an ace that is going to just be a really poorly timed ace for you to have cheated against you that's going to suck yeah one thing with me is playing against them it's the first few times it was a crazy mental game when i just kept on flipping decent cards into my discard pile and just being like no that is going to be used against me now so i've definitely had situations where i'm you know, wasting resources to effectively get 13s out of my discard pile because I am just always worried it's just going to come right back at me with a with a Kia swing or something similar. So there's definitely, it can definitely feel like that when you're hot, your opponent's also now hot. That's probably a good time to start mentioning the exploits uh, just yeah. because a lot of them are based on the card pressure. Uh, on that negative note. <laughs> well, and, and a lot of this is going to be based on the, the way they mess with cards. I've We've already heard the internet and various other podcasts be like, wow, reconfigure and deep discovery. Big thing to point out, this is not any time they flip an ace. It's any time they cheat an ace. And not just aces. Yeah, yeah for for whatever they're doing, and I'm I'm using ace because it's a it's the most it's, it's the, the biggest card. swing. Exactly. Yeah. That moment where you can go, hey, look, this is actually a nine, and 
now my my defense flip is a 14 for most of these guys at that point. Bring it, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that is a, yeah, that that's a, a big thing to deal with. But also realize it's it's a huge mental strain on the EVS player because you have to go, well, I have this, you know, low card of a mask, but the guy that they're attacking, their reconfigure is a tome. I don't have a low tome. Yeah. So I need to know when I need to use the cards in hand. So it's this is going to be one of those high skill floors, but also high skill cap crews. Once you get someone who can just know exactly where they need to put which card, this is going to be real hard to deal with. But until you get to that point, like card drain is still a thing. Or even going, oh, look, you have cards that would be good for certain people, but those guys have already gone. You're going to have to learn to read your opponent or maybe have some way to look at their hand. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I say that's a good call out. Um, one of the things I've talked about with Chase a few times when we play and I'm like, I was ready to flip the table because I was waiting for you to reconfigure or deep discovery on my, on my decent cards. The response back is, but I had decent cards that I was saving for certain actions. I didn't have the, the cards to also use your good cards. So you still have a six card hand, you know, maybe you can refill it a couple of times, but you are, you are still dealing with the limitations of Malifaux in general. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, something that John does against me pretty often is using like either positive flips or toss away actions to leave something terrible on top of his discard pile, like running into one of my activations. That way I can't just start off by deep discovering like a pretty decent card. Yeah. So like people like um, Parker and stuff like that, that all have positive flips or just doing, doing the classic um, Lynch technique of doing a zero just to burn some shitty cards off the top of your deck can work just as well against EVS because now you're just putting lousy cards from either your hand or from your deck over that 12 or 13 that they could have used for defense. Ooh. Yeah. Any, any, just, just keep in mind all of the discard effects you have in your own crew, and that's a pretty easy thing to do because you probably want to do those anyways. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, they they cheat a lot. So what can you do to stop that? Well, anything that is anti-cheating, make them discard a card to cheat fate. Now they have to eat two cards out of their hand for deep discovery to be effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, really puts the pressure on them. Yep. I also think that. You know, deep discovery and and um, we reconfigure really help you kind of get moderate, e decent flips a lot of times, but not really get you to that thirteen consistently. You know, um, reconfigure is a nine, which will usually let you win, but if your stats a five or your defense is a five, you're still probably getting hit. So you know, the stats is probably one of the big ones. Is they're not six sixes across the board they're usually five fives oh good point Mm -hmm. the other thing to exploit against them um from a you know printed on the card more standard malfo thing is that yes there's a lot of armor and especially shielded in the crew but there's also a lot of things in malfo that ignore armor and shielded and so attacking those models or utilizing ping damage Mm -hmm. um and blast damage and things like that that can uh really just not worry about those uh, those defensive abilities as much are also going to help you a lot. Yep. And that's like crucial when you're fighting Kia 
because Kia needs yes. the shielded to turn on the irreducible. If you can just ping away that shielded, well, suddenly it's just a two, four, six, what, you know, by itself. Yep. And especially since you probably used Maxine or the machinist to get that shielded on him. Mm-hmm. Now that's one to two activations that you also wasted. Yep. So especially if you have like throwaway minions or even like some insignificant minions with like ranged attacks and things like that, that can just get a pot shot off of uh, Kia to, to get rid of that shield. It is a totally valid and useful use of that model. Yep. Here's a question. Do you see them taking Calypso without the Dr. BB very often? I haven't. I haven't. No. In EBS, I wouldn't. Um, I'm debating doing it in other keywords and throwing hilariously lousy minions into it, like Ice Bears, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> You're still going to deal with the low willpower at that point in time. So, yeah. But yeah, I think like B brings you the extra cards into your hand. Yep. Okay. And like the increased stats yep. for Calypso. So I think you're always going to see the pair. To augment the talk about armor, you are looking at the cheapest model with armor being eight, if you consider BB and Calypso being a 10 stone model. Yep. Yep. And you're only seeing probably two of those, I think, out of Harada, Tide Collar, Kia, and the baby Calypso next. Yep. Yep. And it, I mean, Tide Collar and Kia are just armor one. So it's not, not they're not armor two like Calypso. Um, yep. And I also feel like Calypso is the perfect example of explorers having expensive minions that usually just end up scheme running half the time because as much as. Beeb and Calypso are great if you're tossing people around in the scrum. You can't say no to all of those walks. So, no. you know, if you're actually doing that, how often are they actually able to spend their AP in the center? No, they're probably not going to be in the center. As long if, if you can devote your time to winning the center of the board, often Calypso will be scoring points on schemes that may have been on strategy, but it's not going to be enough for them to win. True. So yeah. another another thing, it's not actually on our list, but I, I will say this, is that EVS has good minions, especially in the Harpooner and the, the Machinist. And I would say that especially if you're taking Tide Collar and Calypso, the Machinist it, it becomes vital. Mm-hmm. Attacking the Machinist, who does not have the best stats or, no. or anything across the board, uh, the Machinist you know, is one of those models that feels really important because it is, um, but is also cheap, and therefore its defenses reflect how cheap it is. Yeah. Yep. So being able to, to attack that and really disrupt uh, a lot of the uh, inherent support and benefits that you get from just having the machinist on the table as an EVS player, getting that attacked and attacked early uh, can really hurt your game plan as well. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, John has done that to me so many times where the machinist is what I'm using to put shield it out, put out focus, put some cards back into my deck. John just like ignores the rest of my crew, kills the machinist. And I'm like, oh no, there goes my healing. There goes all my support. You're like, uh-oh. Yeah, as I say, it's actually interesting because in a lot of other keywords that would have such a key minion that's relatively squishy, it'd be something like take the hit or something else in keyword to kind of keep them going. They need to be pretty close to Kia, and Kia can't do any of that to support that that minion. So if you can just jump right over Kia and just start punching on the machinist, he's down in two swings. Yep. I do have a question for you guys. This is maybe not necessarily a weakness, but... Uh, something I want to know. Is it worth it going into Maxine, or do you focus on the rest of the crew first? It depends on who you're playing. I'd say. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's squishy. Yeah. Yeah, I actually usually don't see Maxine being the first person that hits my line. It's usually Kia and the Machinist. 
and Collar. maybe tied Collar that kind of you know soften it up first. So if I could see Maxine, I would definitely go after her. Yeah. Now I mean, if you can put a size three model in front of her blocking the card draw, aura, oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can, if you can turn that off. And or like where, send Zip you know, over real quick to throw her around and block her with pianos afterwards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, and, 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 that's, and that's that's the thing is that you know you're fast, uh, you're fast, aggressive, you know, crew. So Nekama, Misaki, McCabe, you know, they're going to try and get in her face, and we'll probably do so very effectively. Okay. Yeah. And anything that's got like you know something that's you know size three and and can get there, you know, Archie or the Shadow Emissary, those sorts of things. Will have that big base to block and can has the movement to get. Okay, so it's more important yeah, to yeah. block off her abilities than it is to outright kill her. I, w- I was curious if two steps ahead was that big of a deterrent for people. No. Okay. I mean, it's funny when you flip on a positive flip two rams and her <laughs> two steps ahead is ram, and you're like, great. 13, <laughs> <is 13>. <laughs> yeah, it was like a twelve and a thirteen. You're like, ah, oh, these are ones now. I uh, appreciate that. Yeah. So good. Yep. Been there a few times. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Why don't we move on to Yedza and the secret keyword? It's pronounced Yedza. You're welcome. Yeah. Let's talk about what to expect. This is the this is actually the keyword I've had the least bit of research into, so I'm very curious what you guys have to say. So Yedza and Seeker are these are going to be, I think, if I had to point out one keyword that the first time everybody sees them, they're just going to kind of be flabbergasted and go. Huh? What the hell am I supposed to do against this? Yeah. It's Yedza, um, because with as much as we like to to talk around like scoring points wins games, it turns out if you kill the other person's models, you can do more to score points in a lot of cases. Yedza doesn't let you do that easily. She kind of provides limited immortality to her crew near her. Is the the biggest thing and has a ton of again ping healing, but. Ping healing plus her keyword uh, all have a chronicle. This is very similar to Sandeep's mantra. They all have chronicle parentheses, different word. So they are all different auras and they do stack, uh, which will take some time for new Yedza players to get these in your head of like, this goes, then this goes, then this goes, or I don't care about that one at the moment, but I care about this one, et cetera, et cetera. And the auras are really big. Yes, yep. they are good-sized auras as well. Uh, but essentially, lots of healing tricks, lots of immortality, a good bit of control, because if you try to go in on Yedza, her henchman, Mikhail, is going to go, no, 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 you're fighting me. I learned from Tony Ironsides, and you're caught in the ring. <laughs> uh, he also, with his particular chronicle, has just really surprising mobility of, oh, someone healed within six of me. I'm going to place in base contact with them. Hey, <laughs> you were going to hit them a second time, but now you're fighting me. Also, by the way, he has hard to kill. Yep. And armor one. Yes. He's, he's, he's really <laughs> awesome, awesome, guys. Expect <laughs> Mikhail. Yes. He's awesome. He's so awesome. I would quite often expect him he, he's going to be one of these things that comes out of keywords sometimes because he is also one of the the rare min three two inch melee stat six beaters uh on top of all that and with minimal support he can work pretty well in most crews with the right reason to bring him plus he has shrug off which as we've said condition removal is limited 
in this faction. Yes, he is one hell of an anvil, and your opponent will not easily break him down uh, while the rest of your crew does work. Uh, the other trick, or one of the other things to expect from these guys, because most of their stats are, again, kind of middling to, to low, fives or fours, I think one six. Other than Yedza's willpower, which she kept everybody else's willpower for herself, and she has eight. <laughs> um, being apparently uh, that runs in Zoraida's family. No, okay. Go, go, and, go and give that explanation. There you go. Uh, yeah, they are, uh, from what we can tell in the fluff, uh, sisters, or at least very close. And doing a little uh, research on the name Yedza, I've seen a couple different versions of it. Either that's another term for Baba Yaga in further Eastern Europe, or another version I've seen is she's one of three sisters in the same family that all kind of do the same thing uh, as far as mythology goes. So, yeah. Baba Yaga obviously being an analog for Zoraida. If you know. Yes. Yes. So, so the other thing that I would say to, to expect from Yedza, um, uh, a big thing is that um, there's terrain manipulation, but she also, in much the same way that Bass does, but I would say it's it's even more than Bass. She uses terrain against the opponent and can really... It, it means that um, you as the player, if you're playing against her, uh, you're going to have to be very careful about what terrain you are in and what terrain you are just huddled up nearby because she has an attack that will resolve a bunch of different effects on you depending on all the traits that the the terrain has and so you want to uh quickly detail that that also applies to terrain you place on the board correct yes, yes. yep it's target a terrain piece which also includes markers you place on the board some people might think that p- uh, terrain piece identifies something that exists on the board before you place models but that is not correct no, it is it is any terrain marker, so dust markers, things like that, and so, some of her models count as terrain um, for for friendly models or uh, yeah for friendly model actions. So th- there will be a lot of ways. I mean, the biggest thing to expect from her is Yedza using more more wraiths to do min three damage to people, or to do three three damage to people um, off of a off of a. a not terribly easy target number uh, move 13 wolf duel. So that's going to be a, yeah. And, and that's a pulse too. And so there, there's going to be a lot of um, really learning, relearning how to do your positioning when you play against yet. Uh, I have another dumb question. If I may yeah. ask, mm-hmm. if you heal something that is already at full wounds, does that count as a heal? No. no. Okay. Another important thing to know. The the action yeah, the start. action still goes off. You still get your triggers, and you still have to do your flips and all that stuff. But it does not count as healing because you're not wounded. Yeah, so their their chronicle won't go off for that because you didn't actually heal any wounds. You went from max wounds to max wounds. No wounds were further gained. Okay. Um, also, as far as the terrain goes, the best way I would recommend to do this: anything that has any terrain trait. So if you open up your terrain rule page and go down those if anything whether it's something you defined on the board or a model or a marker has a terrain trait it's terrain yep okay uh, one thing i would say to go along with that um the healing thing inevitably inevitability of death wow i can't say that at all Inevit- that out. inevitability of death 
Um, that is a wood heal. So that one will, if you do heal somebody at full, Jezza can flip it, turn it into damage, and they don't need to have a wound already. That's yeah, a good so call you, out, yeah. You come in with regen at full health. Well, she's going to turn that back on you. Yep. The other thing that I'll say is uh, her, her two enforcers, um, you're definitely going to see them a lot, Astaire and Twig and the Damned. Uh, again, they both fit that bill of speedy scheme runners and support in that enforcer slot. So they are pricey, but you're going to see them because they're just really good and they bring a lot to the table. And honestly, those are the two models that actually have the mobility uh, compared to the rest of her crew, which is relatively slow. Okay. Yeah. I do also like the goo a lot, though. Yeah. He's pretty silly and fun. <laughs> Agreed. Not as much as the damned. He has move five, though, so that puts him a little yes. bit ahead of the group. And then, oh, and then uh, I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the lamplighters. Oh, yeah. And actually, Roman, if you want to take this one, because have a lot of experience yeah i love them and i will take them out of keyword <laughs> in most places because a they're gorgeous and b they're useful so the <laughs> lamplighters look like fun. they fell out of a nintendo video game as opposed to Mal- yeah why, why do you think roman loves <laughs> yes so but it, yeah they yeah. fell out of an old final fantasy in the best way <laughs> so anytime for for each of these lamplighters you bring you get to create two pieces of terrain anywhere on the table as long as it's not too close to other markers four inches the crew basically these guys play a little mini game of i'm going to go light the lamp once the lamp is lit it stays that way even if you kill them and then for the rest of the game all friendly models within two inches within aura two of the lit marker get a positive to any one duel they take each activation not their activation each activation in other words as long as they're within aura two of this lamp, every attack or every model you activate to attack them, one of the attacks that you're making on them is going to have a positive on their defenses. And it'll be up to that player to choose when that is. Same idea whenever they attack you, every one of their activations, they're going to have one that has a positive on it. This is going to be a duel, so they can't use it on damage because that's just a flip, but they're super fun. Uh, and they're also great tricky scheme runners because they can lock down an area with their two inch engagement. And one of their bonus actions is, oh, there's a lit lamp within eight of me. I'm going to just interact through that. Thanks. And even if they're engaged, they have don't mind me so they can interact while engaged from far away. Yes. They also are a good, more ranged uh, source of healing at up to eight inches. Uh, it's normally just a ping, but if you're within a couple inches of a terrain marker, like their lamps, it actually becomes a regular one, two, three healing. It's one of the few places in this uh, whole faction that you're going to see actual healing flips. Uh-huh. Yeah. So these guys are fantastic, and I love them, and I just cannot wait to paint them. And the the other model that I, I guess you know we need to talk about, too, is Tannenbaum, who is the uh, the other hench in her... Or- uh, yeah, the other enforcer or enforcer, I should say, yeah, uh, in her crew. Um, he's going to be teaming up with the lamplighters a lot because he is going to be the one moving those lamp, the lamps, the uh, around 
to make sure that they uh, get into position of where they need to go. It's not the only thing that he does, but uh, that will be probably one of the vital early things that he uh, he is doing is he's manipulating that terrain uh, to get it where it needs to go for both uh, Yedza and the Lamplighters. Yeah, he needs to die. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like- Early as possible, because the other thing is across the table, take him out. Yeah. Yeah. And any crew and he's versatile. Remember any crew that has him, you cannot shape your hand against them because every turn at the end, you discard your hand. So that brings us to gotchas. Uh, (laughs) bomb (laughs) is your worst nightmare uh, because yes, he will pitch that hand right out for you. He's not the worst nightmare because he's not exactly the most survivable thing in the world, but no, you don't. If you ignore him, you're going to suffer greatly. Yes. And, you know, and the the thing is that, you know, he is manipulative, so he's going to go later in the turn again because of Chronicle, because of the healing, things like that. Specifically inside of Seeker, he's going to be a much tougher nut to crack than when he is outside of Seeker. Fair. And I don't, we we have not mentioned rewrite the story. I think that's probably like the thing that stands out to everyone else uh, immediately when they read the card is the ability to just change an unrevealed. not an unre- uh, change a scheme to a different scheme. And it requires a 13, which I feel like once people start playing <clears throat> Seeker a lot are going to lament the fact that they never drew a 13 to be able to force this through. Mm-hmm. But the or flipped a black joker on it. Oh, God. Because oh. <laughs> it is once per game. You, yep. If you flip that black joker, you're done. Whoopsie. Yep. But it's still very, very powerful. And you, if you let, let him live till turn five, he could probably find a scheme that you can't stop him scoring the crew scoring on. Well, it's only turn four because you can't score the turn that you would switch. Yes. yes. Sorry. Yeah. But I mean, I always figure like if you activate him last turn four, it's effectively a turn five. Oh yeah. Yeah. And cheese into it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's definitely powerful, but it, this is definitely one of those things that, I'm glad we're doing this as a calm down everybody episode. Cause yes, it's powerful. Yes. It's new. And everybody's going to go, ah, the sky is falling for the first five times they see it. You're not going to see this used five times in 15 games no. just because it needs a 13. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind also the any models chosen must be in play restriction. Mm-hmm. I panicked about this first because I, did, I forgot that a little bit of line, but you can't nominate things that are already dead for stuff like Vendetta. So you're at least safe there. Yeah, and this doesn't allow you to go, hey, I already scored my reveal scheme point on X scheme turn two. I'm going to do this turn three and then score the reveal of the new scheme on turn four. Doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, you can get the, the last point for some really cheeky crap like catch and release. People might actually yeah. be switching to catch and release because that last point's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's really, really easy scheme to score off of with this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Finally, I'm going to be excited when catch releases in the pool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and so, so one thing to, to also mention is just that uh, as far as something to expect is that especially early on, uh, similar to with the mantras, the Chronicles are going to take a long time to resolve mm-hmm. at least bef- for, for players uh, who are getting used to playing as her. Uh, or as the crew with, with the crew. So to just expect that going in that, you know, each one is different for, for each of the different types of models, they all have a different one. Um, and so just the order of operations of those, it's just, it's going to take a little bit of time until 
you know, everybody familiarizes themselves with it. Yeah. And I think folks are going to want to try to resolve all of them all the time, starting in turn one. And I Mm -hmm. think that's kind of a trap. Like you're just going to waste your time turn one trying to ping each other and do all these cool things. But like, really, you will kind of want to move your bubble into the center. Yep. And once you get engaged, it's just going to start going off. And as people play, I think they'll start to identify the two or three chronicles that work for them the best. And those are the ones they'll like actively look to, to proc. Yeah. And then the more people play, you're, the less you're going to see them like stick to that bubble as the whole crew. And you're going to have like Yedza and Sophie and Mikhail uh, hanging out. And then you'll have a couple again, kind of strike teams of, of running off. Yep. Remember, each each model's chronicle is their own six-inch bubble, so you can mm-hmm. kind of ride each other along the the edges of those bubbles and be pretty well spread out. Yeah, you can Which, also I, uh, you can also help if you're playing against the Yedza player and they're trying to resolve four or five of these chronicles. You can actually help them out. Be a, be a, be a decent neighbor, be a decent friend, and be like, yeah. okay, you you went with this one, you have these options. Who are you planning on activating? Don't force them to make the decisions, but be able to like help them with upkeep. Two minds are better than one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say I definitely found playing on Basil really well for that because you can just throw up all those bubbles and see what overlies each other, and they yeah. just say, "All right, forget these three guys. I don't care about those anymore." Yeah. Mm-hmm. When well, and also just. L- in order to do that, you have to know the the chronicles. So, hey, look, you're learning the crew, and that's one of the best ways to play against them. That's not just for this faction. That's for anybody. Which brings us to weaknesses. Yes, weaknesses. All of these healing things in chronicles and her font of the everlasting and inevitability of death, they're all auras. Block line of sight. Pull people out of them. Bring lures. Bring offensive movement of some type or throw up some markers that block line of sight and then hit the thing in them. Same with uh, Mikhail. If you can pull him out of engagement, suddenly his caught in the ring isn't mattering anymore. I thought you were still going Roman. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. The, the marker removal is big. Um, getting rid of those uh, extra pieces of terrain and things like that is really going to hurt her because she, you know, she wants to hurt you with that terrain. The other big thing, depending on the play style and uh, uh, what you're taking, um, but a lot of the crews are going to see her have uh, more limited mobility. And so being able to target again with slow and staggered and things like that stunned as well uh, for models like the damned is really going to hurt their ability to do what they need to do. And once again, stunned is also going to be very, very effective on the lamplighters because they can't uh, as effectively do the uh, interact trick that Roman was describing uh, because that is a bonus action. And so they're going to have to start spending an action for that. And so attacking those aspects of uh, what it wants to do well um, is going to not be terribly difficult um, when you bring the right crew into them. And to go along with that condition thing, Jedza does have condition removal on a trigger for plenty of wares. So if you can pass around the conditions, you're more or less forcing her, like her activation, right? You're kind of controlling what she's either going to have to prioritize stripping those conditions or kind of letting them sit there and, you know, bring the crew down. Mobility also is really strong against her because mobility is a, a way that you can mitigate a lot of 
um, the trouble that she's going to cause you with life on Earth with the the different terrain features. Because if you have models that are mobile that can get to kind of where they need to so that they're out of her line of sight and out of range because the range for her is eight inches on that. Uh, so that yes, the terrain piece needs to be within eight of her, but if you can get your model like, you know, out of line of sight, out of range, uh, and usually those more mobile models are going to really help against this crew that is both slow and also limited in the ranges of what they're going to target. Yeah. I was say, and then of course it's a bubble crew a little bit. So anything that's good against a little bit of a clumpy crew is great. Blasts, movement duels, all that kind of stuff is really good against her. Additionally, at least when I play her, I don't tend to have that many really high damage vectors. I'll have Mikhail, obviously. I may have the emissary, but beyond that, a lot of her crew is very scheme and point focused. So having a big beefy model that's not that doesn't have a self heal. Uh, particularly is really great against just to gum up Mikhail and keep keep kind of the main damage dealer locked down. Uh, and one one thing that I will also say um, a- as you play against her, especially is to know, and actually this is even a, a key for folks who are going to start taking her up. She has a very steep learning curve, and that's going to affect mm. a lot of the early games. I'd say probably within the first six months or even beyond that with her being available and and, uh, playable because while she has an incredibly, I think an incredibly high ceiling, I think she also has a very, very low basement. Um, And so being able to find what works for you and, and kind of figure out all the nuances because she has so much going on, so many resources that she needs to pull from to, to pull off what she needs to do. I think she is capable of just about anything in the game. But she has to commit to it, and so the 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 players who are going to play her are going to have a, a tough challenge ahead of them of really figuring out how to be the most efficient and consistent. Yeah, that was actually one of my things. If the art and the lore wasn't so cool on her, I figured she was going to be one of the least picked up masters, just because everyone will play the first game with her and be like, "What the heck was that?" Yep. <laughs> you know, I'm going to switch to something that I actually understand how to work. Exactly. Yeah. She has so much going on. She's so different from what we've seen um, in a lot of ways uh, in the game. But fortunately for that art and lore, I think uh, we're going to see a lot of people picking up, picking her up. Um, <laughs> just don't get frustrated. Don't get frustrated because she is good. Yeah. Just just accept you're playing a control master. It's a different kind of control than anything else we've seen, but it's control. And just learn to love it. Learn to love grandma. again i i have a little bit to input here hooray doug um keep in mind the lamp the lamp markers are not destructible so uh your particular version of uh, marker removal need to keep that in mind but also it is a little bit telling of where they plan to go and what they plan to do because they put those out the very beginning of the game and i realize tannenbaum can move those but he's not always a guarantee to do that Yep. There's also an interesting placement game with those. Place them too far, you never get to them. Place them too close, you're spending all your tannin and energy pushing them forward. Okay. Can we move on? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right. Next up is Cadmus with the master being Nexus. Bring bug spray. Bug spray. Horrible, horrible mites. For your brain. I just realized <laughs> I just realized a mite also has eight legs. I learned something. Yeah, they they are a a family of arachnids. Yes, although I think most people are going to call them spiders. It's okay. Yeah. 
Okay, what what are we expecting from Cadmus? That too many legs and eyes <laughs> and ears, or just so eyes. many legs. Yeah. <laughs> oh my! Oh yeah! Uh, oh. So many legs, eyes, and ears that McMorning is very triggered. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he wants to gush but, about the Spider Lady. I mean, I love Nexus. I think, well, they are amazing. I don't think I don't think they're gendered. Um, I mean, yeah, we we can not, uh, so. we don't you don't have to, but I think a few people are going to use she just because of the uh, feminine shape of the master here. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to say gender neutral. I yeah, think go I can ahead. Know that. Uh, but they are plural so, though. They are a plural though, so they also yes, works. they also works. Um, they are like a Hamlin two point um, You have swarms of critters running around the board, and they stack tokens on you. Not really stack, you get one, and then you get damage for more. Then there's also a side of growth happening, where you can grow up your little eyes and ears into berserkers. Um, So you kind of need to look out for that swarm. And then, yeah, the token tricks, so your parasite tokens, really bad if you end up getting a parasite, um, because then (laughs) you start taking all the damage. So that's where you need to look out for kind of like their big mechanic is the parasite token. Um, and it does make you friendly to them. So they can treat you as a, a friendly Cadmus model. It's only the Cadmus models themselves, so you can't bring in the emissary and have him treat you like a friendly, whatever that would do for you. Um, or push damage onto the emissary. Exactly. Um, you, I, There are s- some random ways to get a Parasite token on your other non-Cadmus friendly models. The only benefit is really if the Berserker Husk uh, creep alongs towards you, you can go a little bit further. Um, but there's really other no other cheesing it to be had. It's really against the enemy model. Cadmus, as a keyword, comes with the Will of Cadmus upgrade. Starts on Nexus, but if Nexus dies, the upgrade moves around. Um, that means that the holder of that upgrade gets to activate for a second time after all the other models have activated. So think similar to Terra, but they activate slow, and they can only take the Will of Cadmus action. Um, so they'll definitely have the last activation of every turn. And then I like the way that Jamie phrased this in his podcast, but it's death by a thousand cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, this keyword will burn through your deck, causing so many simple duels that your hand pressure is going to be ridiculous. There's like just so many simple duels, so many shockwaves, pulses, just all these little things you have to watch out for. Um, they also like, the Demise on the Eyes and Ears, Alchemical Vial on Meredith, um, Down to the Last Drop on Spell Eaters, uh, Nexus themselves. It, it's going to feel painful the first couple times you run into them. The other thing that you're going to see is you're going to see, we joked about it a couple times already, you're going to see Eyes and Ears, a lot of Eyes and Ears, summoning back two to three around after somebody wastes some AP killing them is exactly what Nexus wants. He wants them up on the board. He wants them out. He wants them cycled. You know, he, he wants his more squishy, unique models hiding behind a wall of things he doesn't care about. I'm staring at the cards. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Roman, Robert, anything you guys want to add? Uh, I mean, you guys pretty much hit the nail on the head. I, I, the, I guess the one of the big things um, that is uh, across the crew is that there are so many really strong i think bonus action attack actions or tactical actions that do really nasty things to the opponent uh because even some of the tacticals are you know 
are going to damage or, or do something that you don't want. Uh, the spell eaters, for instance, have, you know, down to the last drop, it seems like, oh, just, you know, everything in, in Pulse 2 gains one damage, and you can think that's not big of a deal. It's the triggers on that that make it so much more difficult um, to, to have to think about and, and contend with and, and be aware of. And so I, 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 the big thing to expect to me when it comes to, to Cadmus is that everything is a threat, even the smaller, uh, more insignificant uh, lowercase i, but capital as well. Models all have something that's going to really mess mess you up and, and disrupt you in a big way. Yeah. One thing to definitely expect is once a parasite token kind of gets out on somebody, they're kind of dead already to you as, as a player playing against Cadmus. Either from, you know, it's funny how quickly a bunch of models with like two, three, four damage tracks can kill eight to nine wound models without really trying very hard. Poor Hinamatsu. <laughs> Poor Hinamatsu, that was not a good game. I have eaten her alive multiple times now. <laughs> she just runs in, and I'm like, well, okay, you can take down the first model, but I'm going to pile on like six simple duels, and you'll get a parasite before the turn's over. So, like, next turn, you're gone. Like, yeah. Good luck. I'm just going to siphon. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do yeah. that. Sounds like you need to check Hinamatsu for termites. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess one other thing, too, I, I don't think we really talked is that uh, this is one of the few crews in Explorers that actually um, leverages uh, aggressive conditions uh, with poison and how they utilize poison mm. Uh, mm-hmm. in conjunction with like having the parasite tokens and all the other ping damage. The, the poison, uh, especially between you know Meredith and the uh, uh, the Night Silk Creeper and, and a few of the other mills, that coupled with all the simple duels and the ping damage and uh, the bonus action, you know, pulses and, and all those different things uh, just make it worse and put even more pressure on the opponent to have to really figure out, okay, is the, is it worth getting rid of the poison? It probably is, but how do I still get, how, how do I still do what I need to do while also trying to get rid of this poison? Yeah, and I, I feel like you can actually lean into the crew in two different ways, right? You can go the poison route, or you could go the injured route. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I think they could lean into either very effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 there's success that you can have by you know kind of generalizing with both too. Um, yeah, and yep. and really just figuring out okay, who do I need to injure versus poisoning? And so yeah, the, it. Jamie's right as far as the a thousand cuts, but it's it's so much more than just. The simple duels there's they're throwing so many things that on their own look like you know oh that's kind of annoying but it's just an avalanche of so many things that you have to contend yep and like just to call it out like it's not unusual that you have 12 to 14 cadmus models on the table for a turn yeah so like just like they're going to have a lot of models you're going to get a lot of pass tokens but you're it's going to be a lot of models so should we put that under potential gotchas? Don't play Hamlin into them unless oh, you have God. enough time to play like an APOC game for 40k? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> short of a eight hours, so you might be able to get it in. <laughs> I mean, I guess that that would be like a potential weakness to exploit, right? Just play, you know, play a, another like crazy summoner into them. Ugh. Yeah, no, that's that's honestly not a bad idea because it turns it turns the game to the to a grind, but it's you know it is a way to mitigate some of what they're doing. Yeah, 
as far as potential gotchas, I, I really think, I know for me, the biggest thing was the, the getting used to the actions after your activations are done from Will of Cadmus. Cause that, that is just such a, oh, you needed more actions to get this scheme and you were not going for it by the end of the turn. And then suddenly, oh, look, you have points from it and I had no way to stop it. So you, that can be a bit tilting the first couple times you see it used well, just because they're like, oh yeah, no, I was, I was putting all my actions towards making your life harder. And now I have these last two of, I'm going to get points. I say it really works around the, the slow movement that the crew has. You don't necessarily need to interact. You just need to get there and then just let Will do it for you. And that's yep. really helpful. Yep. Really beyond that, the the big thing is how much the parasites just turn the crew on. Like this this is the the nitrous to pour into the engine for anybody who actually understands cars, which is not me. Uh, uh for the for the crew. Like once you get those parasites out, even a couple of them. Suddenly your, uh, your stat for will of Cadmus is higher and you're doing that more easily. You're able to do a lot of the nifty tricks. We haven't really talked about the, the, we are Legion nonsense that you can do with this with their, well, you're going to do damage to me, but I'm going to move one of those points onto this other person near me. And if I have another person near me, maybe move another one elsewhere. Same with healing. But it turns out if you have a, a parasite, you are friendly to them as a Cadmus model. And if you do damage to them, suddenly you're doing one less damage to them and getting pinged yourself. And if you do that a couple times, models just melt. Yeah. That's that you can get into the nitty gritty, but really those are the biggest overarching gotchas. I would say anything else to add guys. Uh, did we, do we talk about, uh, omnipresent influence much? I can't remember. No, we didn't actually. So, that- so that's probably going to be the one of the big things is that you know if you're familiar with you know Zoraida or Swamp Fiends, uh, Nexus can draw line of sight through any Cadmus model, and so that's a big deal. The twelve, the fact that it's a twelve inch range, also, um, so that I think for for a lot of folks, because really out uh, outside of Zoraida, we don't have too many who have the the breadth of the range. You know, it's like Zoraida and Rasputina have like that huge range. Everybody else, it's much smaller. You know, about like six inches, or uh, I guess sort of sand deep can get out to about twelve as well. But it's a, a little bit more complicated compared to Nexus and Zoraida who are just like, cool, any of my models within 12, I can draw a line of sight from. So when, and the other thing with Nexus that's different from them is Nexus. It's any action, including melee. So Nexus themselves can actually cheese out a bit of movement because if you have one of their friendlies within an inch of you, Nexus can just charge as an extra, essentially a free walk in a straight line and then still melee you through this thing up in your face, twelve inches away from them. And 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 the yeah. important thing to note, though, is that is because she has a lot less, or or they have a lot less uh, restrictions on this. It is only once per activation that they can do that, but it's still something that is going mm-hmm. to catch people off guard each each time. Once well, one, once per activation, once per model. model. Yes, sorry, per model. Yeah. Yeah, so not that scary for Nexus to be swinging that stat 7 at you unless you get ganged up one. Or you have a parasite. Or, yeah, you have a parasite on you. Which the attack gives you if you yeah. have a, if you don't have a card to discard. Yeah, so Nexus will be scary end of turn after they've bled your hand dry. Yeah, I was going to say, end of the round is when you are the most in danger of being murdered by Cadmus because you'll be out of cards, you'll be out of 
positive things you can easily get positive flips or whatever on a dual on and you're just going to be picking up the, the parasites. Uh, another thing that I would also say is that uh, Ill Omens, uh, which basically on the Archivist allows, mm. uh, gives the crew plus two on their initiative flip, so it's that's going to be tough uh, for, for opponents to uh, to get used to, is the fact that, you know, more likely than not, unless you're pouring resources into it, you're not going to get to choose when you go on each turn. Yep. Oh, and I would call out that like half the crew will be insignificant. Yeah. So the eyes and ears and the husks, or not the husks, the, the nests, um, they're all insignificant. Yeah, so they're pretty good into a recover evidence or other pool like that where you can just push a bunch of people, grow up some people, have them all in the way, and none of them ever had tokens on them. Yeah, that's an excellent call out as well. Which probably brings us into the biggest weakness to exploit on them is there's a lot of weak dudes make like it's Hamlin and bring area of effect attacks. Yeah, absolutely. Blast, shockwaves, lots of guns. Oh. They hate guns. What, uh, uh, sorry, I get Galactus, stop knocking over the Pringles can. God. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I have a very fat cat, and for some reason he likes knocking things over when I'm recording. Only when I'm recording. <laughs> <laughs> Phantom knowledge on the archivist feels like a gotcha moment that's going to really suck for people. At least I think so. And like, the, obviously, I, mean, I the, think deafening silence. Sorry, what? I think deafening silence is the gotcha moment for me. But um, the archivist is a yeah. gotcha model. We'll put it that way. The archivist. Yeah, re- yeah that's a better way folks, to put it. Read through it. Read through it. You've got it on the app now. Read through it. Uh, I would because it, it's going to be a very important uh, a model to know. Uh, all the ways that Cadmus is going to try and exploit you. Yeah, yeah. I would be very cagey if you bring a rider. Just FYI. Mm. Very much so. But I mean, there's still a lot of work out of them. They got to put a, a parasite token on him uh, with you know stat six seven. You're going to be doing a decent job passing a lot of those simple duels that give them to you. So yeah, yeah. Anyways, we can go back to being just beating the crap out of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, beating the crap out of them. I mean, uh, they've got low stats. Their frontline models, your eyes and ears, your berserker husks. Their defense four, willpower three. So you can smack them a bit. Uh, the hu- the berserker husks do have hard to wound, and they have the built-in push towards you if they get damaged. So they will get up to you, but they're easy enough to hit. So like that is the thing. They are giant wound pools though, so it, it is eight wounds. Um, so you'll have to probably eat through that, but they're easy enough to hit. So like, that's probably the starting point. Your more, you know, your important models are typically stat five defense, um, possibly five, six willpower. So again, not difficult to really hit if you can get to them. So that's why, you know, ranged attacks will do well against them. If you can get out in front and shoot early, because Cadmus is going to take some time to unpack and you know, crawl forward. Yeah. And beyond that, if you can remove web markers or scheme markers at range, that really stops them from their playing their recursion game through the summoning. Same with your, your usual anti-summon, anti-placement tech, throw in some anti-heal or anti-demise as well, just for thoroughness. Well, it'll really help you against the eyes and ears, that anti-demise. Mm-hmm. That'll cut down on those simple duels quite a bit. And that's one of the hugest parasite token vectors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sadly, that's not a very common thing. 
Exactly. No. Yeah. I say that's why we kind of put them all in one bucket. You have one either anti-summit, anti-demise, anti-place, anti-heal. You probably won't have very many of them, but they do definitely. Does do Arcanist have any of those? Please help no, me, but, guys. but 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 Arcanist. I mean, here here's the thing though: is that uh, leading into <laughs> one of the other ways, especially to deal with eyes and ears, shooting them is really effective. Yeah, because the gun. We have magic guns. We have magic guns. Okay. Alone. There's plenty of ranged attacks. Oh my goodness. They're just shorter range, though, than most guns. Not raspy. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the absolute goddess that is raspy Tina, please. Um, you can also use arson on all those scheme markers and hopefully do a lot of duels off of it. Maybe arson's finally good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, the, the, the gunsmith, I mean, they're... they're it, Across the faction, shoot, shooting and doing ranged attacks uh, and willpower yeah, attacks. I'm joking. Uh, yeah. So the low willpower oh, yeah, thing, also a big deal. You know, the Eisenears have, you know, not a great willpower, but the Night Silk Creeper also doesn't have a great willpower. Neither does the Berserker Husk. Uh, so your obeys and your other ancient words, things like that, are going to uh, cause some issues for those models Yay. in a big way. Because uh, also when yep. we say low willpower, I mean, we mean low. really low willpowers. No. Yeah. Three. As a, same thing as you know, you know, since a lot of it comes out of via simple duels for the parasites, having high willpower is also great. Or having stuff like iron sides where you get positive flips on certain types of duels is also really good to keep those keep keep those duels failing. Oh yeah, unionized was brutal when I took Nexus into Tony. Took me like all game just to get one token out. Yes, that's, that's, that's going on. It's just I think that's a general thing. Just any positive flips you can grab are going to be extra useful here because anything that preserves your hand to keeping your mm-hmm. model to, yep. to keeping your models from getting parasites tokens is is critical. So whenever you can top deck stuff is going to be much much more useful. Yeah, same with card draw for the same idea. I I honestly the more I look at these guys, I'm thinking. It, the game's going to be a grind either way. I'd rather have models more towards the end of it. I think it's going to be more beneficial to spend the cards in your hand to stop the parasites from coming out than almost anything else. Uh, some of the really important enforcers have you know, some pretty glaring weaknesses on them, uh, whether it's the willpower attacks or just very low defenses that if you take those models out, uh, some of the game... Uh, for for Nexus and Cadmus uh, starts to fall apart a little bit. Meredith is a, a big one that you know she does not have a lot of defensive tech. Period to to contend with. She's got fives and then no, nothing right. else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say Meredith should be target priority number one, mm-hmm. just because she enables that growth mechanic and the healing bubble. Yeah, Meredith one, spell leaders two, Archivist if he gets close enough to you. <laughs> yeah and, and the thing is is that meredith you know meredith is one and meredith is the easiest to take out mm-hmm. of of those three yeah, by far the other thing to call out i think is that beyond that remember whenever you're trying to kind of read what your opponent's doing will of cadmus at the end of the turn is only non-charge general actions so that's walk concentrate interact assist and the unnamed one that is destroy destructible terrain <laughs> I mean, that's the name, Destroy Destructible Terrain. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's like the artist formerly known as Prince. <laughs> or the, the tyrant without a name, Nameless. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, these guys also don't have Don't Mind Me. So if you can engage a lot of them 
suddenly Cadmus has fewer vectors to do any scheme marker-based schemes, and then you know most of the positional ones, you just have to make sure that you have a friend nearby so you're not picked out alone. So there, there are things you can do to mitigate that really big gotcha for scoring purposes by remembering and figuring out exactly where the line is on Will of Cadmus on what it can and cannot do. Also remember yep. your models can be targets if they have parasite tokens. Yep. Yes, they can. I would, I would consider that if they are not that critical to your crew, it might be worth spending an AP to kill them. Yeah. I think in some situations, yeah, that would, that would require some uh, like a great deal of foresight. Like hey, this guy is a good in a good position to score my opponent something where he can just lay down a scheme marker. So, yeah, don't don't yeah. don't just go offing your models willy nilly. But <laughs> remember, it's an option. I guess what I want to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there is the triggers on Will Academus for aggressive control to do melees or unwilling service to ignore insignificant. But that actually even just makes it more expensive because now you are saving cards of the right suit to actually be able to melee somebody. Well, he can siphon power. But you can siphon power, sure. But yeah, if, if you're planning to target the opponent's model, you're probably saving that one of those nice cards to the end of the turn, just for that to happen. Oh, another one that funding to Gronk that up. You gotta love, gotta love concealment. Doesn't matter if they're <laughs> relenting. If you don't hit your target number, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Aggress- aggressive concealment, I guess is what I'm, what I'm saying there. <laughs> Aggressive. Call Mary Kay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else, guys? Uh, the thing I would mention on the concealment aspect of it is, oh, it is an attack. Never mind. So yes, that yeah. is ac- accurate because since it's an attack, they can draw. No, that doesn't work that way because they're still not targeting themselves if it's Nexus. So Nexus can draw a line of sight and range from the model in concealment at itself. Yes. Uh, Once. So, okay. Yeah. At Nexus? No, no, no. At, at whatever the model they're will oh. of Cadmusing. Yes. 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 So they can draw a line of sight from 12 inches away, targeting a model that's now 18 inches away. Well, no, I, I was saying for if you have, if the model you need to do a thing is in concealing terrain, you're yeah, drawing that 12 inch line of sight and then they're within six inches of themselves, and it's it. not them doing the attack action, it's Nexus. So Nexus can use them as a node to target themselves with that attack action. Okay, okay. now I follow. There just is like, still a way around that with things like, I, okay, the only thing I can think of immediately is Venstein, where just gives them concealment regardless mm-hmm. of where. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Constantly being a problem. <laughs> Yay! All right, let's go on to the Department of Ungentlemanly Affairs or Umbra or both or Dua, which I like calling it Dua because Dua implies duality, which is another theme of Ivan's. So good job there naming that. They're weird. I don't know if that was intentional or not. Uh, we're talking about English Ivan. Folks. Who is definitely not named Ivan and certainly not English. <laughs> uh, real quick, I'm actually going to have to duck okay. out. Uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate thanks for it. coming in, Rob. Nice meeting you both. Thanks, thanks Rob. Rob. No problem. Have a good one, we guys. We talked too long. I hope you're happy. Is there anything else you specifically want to say you think we might not cover? Uh, no, I mean, it. We the three of us have discussed Ivan and Anya ad nauseum, so <laughs> your thoughts are the same as my thoughts. <laughs> thanks.
All right. Cool. Bye. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Uh, Roman, R- Roman, take Ivan. Excellent. So, yes, Ivan, uh, in general, what to expect on this one? They're going to turn all the negatives in your expectations into positives. They're going to turn that smile upside down for you and your frown into their smile, specifically on concealment, distracted and friendly fire. And those will stack. If they get a case where they can get all of them at once, they'll be shooting you at three positives instead of three negatives. If they get that, that is going to be probably the, if I had to point at one thing that's going to throw you out or throw people off the first time they see it, it's going to be that. This is, Ivan is a summoner. It's a very cool, different way of summoning in that it involves opposed duels because he does it off an attack. So this is new, but is something that you can effectively affect a bit more than other summoners in that you can bank that red joker and go, no, I don't think so. Thank you. In some cases, if he has a high enough card and you're cheating, it might not help enough, but that will at least stop him from getting out his big boys. Uh, Other than that, they have several kind of sub themes of debuffs through distracted and staggered uh, primarily, which the distracted is great because they have ways to turn that into offensively using negatives against you against their attacks through one of their henchmen and uh, staggered. There's a good amount of move duels in here as well. So that is helpful for them. There's a number of their models that have surprising mobility despite having low movement, uh, either Ivan or his uh, totem, or there's a few other tricks in keyword as well. So just watch out for them. And then on the summons, uh, they all have really high defense. Like all of them are defense six and they all have a bubble of concealing around them. This is not concealment. It is concealing terrain. So if you are aiming through a a utility attack at one of your models engage with them, you're going to be at at concealing or you're going to be at a negative. So those are kind of the the big hallmarks of the crew. Uh, There is a bit of a line cutting between them just because they are two separate keywords, but essentially the shadows are going to be your frontline providing concealment for the backline humans who are actually the ones running the heists and doing more of the ranged attacks. Anything I missed, guys? Um, one thing for me that's a bit of a gotcha the first time I played against them or something that I would see is the Brockins. They're still, they're very good. And especially with the no heal aura and the irreducible damage and the concealing, you can get very easily get into a situation where once it gets going, you just can't stop them from killing that model. That's a good call out uh, because they have a way of doing non-blockable damage, even without the uh, irreducible, uh, that I don't think is, is it's not going to be immediately obvious to people as well, uh, which should definitely be under a uh, gotcha. It's on their hallowed glory, uh, which is a tactical, needs a six to go off and pulls, it makes enemy models in range, pass a movement duel or push three inches towards them. Then a separate part of the action is any enemy model in base contact with the Brocken suffers two damage. That doesn't stop if you pass the move duel. And it turns out these guys summon in base contact with you. Yep. And since it's also two parts, I assume it'll also not be affected by 
what do you call it? Um, evasive. Yeah, it's not like it's not pulse. I was gonna say, is it pulse yeah, damage? That, I don't know. This is what we're actually trying to figure this out right now. Yeah, we <laughs> we would. I would need to look into that because it's not actually the pulse doing the damage; it's the enemy yeah. in base contact doing the damage. But it is exactly. damage off of a pulse action. So I'd I'd need I to would, look into that one. But yeah, I, say, I would uh, rule it just because the action has the pulse marker on it. Then it still counts as damage from a pulse. All right. So scratch that one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I could be wrong, but that's how I'd do it off the cuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's better than saying this has an exception. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Makes sense. Good, good, good question for an FAQ though. Yeah, <laughs> good luck. Are we talking about gotchas now? Yes, we are. That was the start of the gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Talking about gotchas. <sighs> I had one. I'm trying to remember what it was. Someone else can go. Was, was it Dark Deception? <laughs> uh, which one was Dark Deception? That is Ivan. Uh, it's it's one of his big defensive things of essentially he can reduce all damage incoming on him to zero oh. by removing a, a shadow marker within two inches it's just uh, like uh, no but this this was a question and then if you gave me the correct answer then it goes into a gotcha black mirror can you give uh more drake a condition he already has if it's stackable yes okay so if you wanted to stun Ivan, you'd have to stun Ivan twice. Yes. Okay. But that is one way to just completely shut down his summoning, which I guess would go into weaknesses. But Black Mirror is probably going to catch people out. On, and on Black Mirror, there's a, it works both ways. The uh, You can, at that point, if Mordrake has an action that he doesn't really have anything to do for, he can concentrate and send Ivan the focus. Yeah. Yes, he can. Ivan summoning a Deva and immediately getting a free attack off of it with Made to Kill might might throw people for a loop. I yeah. love Deva. Um, any other like gotchas? I feel like there's there's not a ton here. Yeah, there's. I mean, the big one to remember is that concealing terrain around them. And yeah, it's gonna matter because it's a bubble, right? So any sight lines that pass through that bubble now have concealment to worry about. Useful if you're shooting past the shadows, right? Or if you are sitting in that patch of concealing terrain you now have concealment from your own friendly models another gotcha in my mind is really the the fact that they like distracted is just hard for people to kind of get especially if they have crews that just throw it out as part of their attacks already you're like oh no actually please don't do that um because that's only going to put ivan on a positive now (laughs) and even stuff that he he has in his own crew giving yourself distracted on a lot of his models is only a buff so even things that look kind of odd like the nocturnes displace is actually really good because it's moving and giving distracted which lets you do more damage and it's just all rolls together yeah the next level up on that concealment aspect of it is so we all know concealment gives you a negative if you're doing a a non-melee attack at whatever model is in concealment normally Here's the thing, it's possible to have concealment without caring about that negative. Like if you're in concealing terrain and there's any sight lines drawn to you, melee or non, you have concealment. I mention this because there are several models in here, Ava and the Brocken, or excuse me, not the Brocken, the Deva specifically have shadow pin, which says target must have concealment or be within three inches of a friendly shadow marker. This is in melee. The Deva, you're going to have it because you'll be in base contact with them if they're attacking you. And yes, you c- 
can, or rather you may ignore one inch of concealing terrain while you're in it, but it's a may. So the Deva can go, hey, I flipped my, my trigger for this. You're taking suddenly there at min three damage, which is one thing to think about on this crew because there is no built-in min three damage. Everything starts at a one or a two and the highest printed it goes is, is four. So this is a bit of a death by a thousand cuts or at least multiple punches crew. But they do have those sneaky ways to get some some melee boosts. Yep. I say Ivan is himself is also just deceptively damaging. You know, his his attack is not ima- amazing. It is a two, three, four, but you are getting positives. You are getting built in that shadow pin. And if you've already summoned nearby or people are in concealment from other ways, from shadows, etc., shadow pin can might as well just be printed on his attack. So you can actually start blasting out decent decent amount with him against willpower which against other explorers is a great thing to shoot at um <laughs> really i think the other big gotcha in here is is from an odd place it's from a five stone minion uh our my new favorite the operative mm. these guys are fantastic and the first ability on their card infiltrator is you could probably write like a college thesis on this because it's i have i've been looking for interesting things to do with it and i'm sure i've missed a ton but essentially, this is going to take some time for Ivan players to wrap their heads around because it's going to keep coming up in different ways depending on who you're facing, much less what your opponent's going to try and figure out how it does. But essentially, enemy models don't treat this model as an enemy for their actions, abilities, or triggers, and the operative can choose to be affected by the actions, abilities, and triggers of enemies that are restricted to friendly models and or models of a specific keyword. Let me just point out the the really nasty one that I've I've noticed. Terrifying requires an, an enemy attack to take a terrifying test. So operatives can shoot at terrifying things all day long and not take them. Oh, <laughs> ah, that sucks. Yeah. And then basically anytime your opponent says, hey, this attack is enemy only against you. And you'll just go, cool. That's an attack you just lost. What yep. would you like to do instead? Yeah, I was going to say execute triggers, etc. Good luck. Yep. Manipulative. Also, plenty of plenty of crap. Yeah, there's like I said, it, it's a it's a nuanced and and deep uh, ability. Okay, keep in mind that it, it they do not count them as enemy models, but they do not count them as friendly. Yeah. No, that's that's fine. Yeah. It's just like you know you you cannot target them as friendly models. Right. That is a good call out. We're talking about operatives. Um, I also enjoy the fact that they actually have a gun. So set for success can actually possibly come up every now and then, unlike in, in Arcanists. Yeah. Yeah, these these are better saboteurs. Uh, fight me if you don't believe that. For the same cost, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh let's how do we how do we beat the Shadow Lads? The Dua Umbra keyword. Well, you can probably make the uh the Ivan player upset and or sad by saying, oh man, it'd be great if they were Arcanist, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, they have a few weaknesses to exploit. Uh, when Ivan summons things in, they have a way to do uh, self-damage to drop more shadow markers. Anytime self-damage is there, you can capitalize on it. They actually have a couple different points of self-damage. There's that. Gibson does damage to people to make them fast. If you really focus down uh, Mordrake, the totem. He will do two irreducible damage to Ivan if he chooses not to die and uses his 
demise instead. So there's there's ways you can make self-damage work against them. In general, Ivan loves to say, I'm not taking any damage because of Dark Deception, but if he doesn't have any shadow markers around him, he can't do that. So bring destructible marker removal or just regular marker removal, either of those. Stunt, stunned is probably the biggest one, though, because they love their triggers. Oh, yeah. I will, um, along those lines, blow it to hell is two inches. And that's also the distance Ivan has on his Dark Deception. So can you just you could just slide the blow it to hell marker under under Ivan, can't you? Yeah, that's a drop, isn't it? Yeah, it's a drop. Yep. Just put that right underneath him. Now he has to move. Otherwise, he's exposed when he activates. Yeah. Other exploits. What do we got? I mean, one thing I kind of see with Ivan is Ivan, if you really start attacking the things he likes, starts being a lot less efficient. As we already mentioned, destructible terrain. Destroying his shadows, not having a lot of concealment on the board, means that he's really struggling, spending a lot more AP to get out what he needs. Um, same thing as summons a opposed duel. So having a target with a high enough willpower that you still think you have a high enough card to make sure it happens so you can actually get the summon off requires a little bit of setup. It's not just going to happen every time you get a 12 of masks, I mean, 12 of masks or tomes in your hand with your summoning leader. It's just, it's going to be, all right, now do I have to teleport Ivan forward to do this summon? Well, now that leaves him open to somebody charging into me and taking me out. So like, there's definitely like a timing and a setup game that he needs to deal with. It's actually funny against lower willpower crews, his summon actually gets a, kind of worse because you're not getting the Brockens out. You're maybe getting Devas and you're definitely getting Nocturnes. But if you're sending eyes and ears forward, for instance, is that even worth it to summon off of them? You know, because all you're doing is filling a board with nocturnes. But shadow doggos are best doggos, <laughs> especially the mantis doggo. <laughs> yeah. Other things to think about is bringing positive flips if you're going to be shooting into all of those concealing terrain patches. Um, so, like Parker has a leg up to start. But what also stands out there is that the like. The Dua range is 10 inches. They don't really have anything past a 10-inch limit, right? So if you can outshoot them, it forces them to have to move into you. Mm-hmm. You're controlling like how that engagement is happening. Yeah. I'd, I'd also mention that the there is some healing in Keyword, but it's only on the shadow guys, the actual shadow dudes, not Ivan. So if you can start chipping away at the actual humans... Like the crew really feels it. No, Ivan's Umbra. Right, but well, his I'm, I'm his Ivan. yeah his his healing aura says other Umbra models. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking about Gibson. Yeah, yeah. No. Gibson can heal Ivan, but he's the only person he can heal. Otherwise, it's just the shadows. Yeah, and and no one can heal Gibson because there's no normal human healing in keyword. Good point. Yeah. Uh, Do we talk about how uh, kind of fragile these shadow guys are oh yeah they have no defensive tech other than that well yeah concealing patch and defense six but otherwise you're gonna spray on them in in melee and yeah that's it yeah you would almost think that you would you would looking them you'd think oh these guys are in corporals no they're they're actually pretty pretty damn solid Mm -hmm. um some some hazardous shenanigans are gonna are gonna be fun especially since they're placing move duels oh i found out i love move, move duels against Umbra oh god, I remember models. that game. That was painful. Oh, yeah. I didn't know you could set darkness on fire. 
<laughs> it was a it, yeah it was it was a Karis game and uh she can actually bring a lot of move duels and since a lot of those are shockwaves too you're not caring a lot about that concealment that was that was a fun game <laughs> uh, yes it was against you that way roman <laughs> <laughs> i think you have one game in particular and that was brutal yep yay okay uh did we talk about mordrake at all I mentioned that he's a, a vector you can use to just beat on him until the Ivan player decides this isn't worth more wounds off Ivan to keep bringing him back, but not really anything beyond that. Okay. Yeah, you meant you had also said you can tailor, you can kind of tailor your crew to having lower willpower. I know a lot of crews I can, I would bring, or at least I could fidget a little bit so that the only thing he could possibly get a Brocken off of is the master. And once you only have one model in your crew he can summon off of, it's a lot easier to deny it or put it in a place that's not optimal for him. Yeah, which means you're hiring more Brocken. Brocken aren't exactly the most movable models you're hiring. Yeah. So that means that that just kind of slows down your move across the board, which is another good way to kind of slow down the do a keyword. Yeah, and that forces you into a, a an even deeper pit of specific order of operations to get the most out in order to get, say, Gibson's anti-luminal bridge up, uh, which is not terribly easy early on unless you have specific cards in hand. He can also give out fast, but again, then you're sending out people fast ahead of him and he's not able to join, which makes the summoning harder because he can't turn your distracted into negatives. Uh, Gibson actually is, is worth mentioning as a weakness to exploit. He is a henchman with eight wounds and shielded one every turn. But if you take him out, you're essentially like taking the biggest pockets of the two of the crew's utility belt away from them. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to syndicate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last one is the syndicate keyword with. Anya Lycaron, like a yeah. I'm gonna go with Lycaron. Like, okay. Uh, I guess I'll take this one because I do like to play Anya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Anya, her big thing is her and her crew can just guarantee triggers. Um, they can take a point of health and then just get any suit that they need. It's incredibly great. It's you. I use it all the time. It's you know. It lets you get anything off that you really need, especially on Anya herself, being able to jump with um, Bleeding Edge in place right after it is is a classic Anya move. Crew has a lot of mobility. Anya herself is fast, both with move six and Bleeding Edge. Sovereign, her totem, is big, tanky, and has fly with me. Rook has slippery in a move six, so he's kind of like sliding around the board. And then you have surveyors with unimpeded, so they can kind of go through any terrain that you have going around. Yeah, and they have Chain Gang also. So there's a lot of surprising movement tricks in there. So playing against Syndicate, it's very... You can kind of expect them to kind of start in one place, and then as soon as they see you moving somewhere, they all, like, wiggle around you to get around the edges and, and pass by you to go get more points. And you're just like, ah, why didn't they... I was expecting them to actually stay put. They do... Anya herself, for a weak um, cost master, has a lot of utility. She has the ability to turn Scheme Marcus into Hazardous. She can get some healing on herself. She can can do a funny candy bar style um, damage track with a ceiling of whatever your duel is off of Bleeding Edge. 
So, and she can also throw up hostile work environment. So she is just kind of, as soon as she gets nearby your opponent's team, just kind of messes them up. Yeah, I would say playing against this, it's very reminiscent of like Lady J or the Vix in terms of speediness, but also ability to kind of hit hard on specific targets. Yeah. I also should bring up the fact that she does have Arcane Reservoir. Her henchman, Gibson, um, Winston, sorry. Winston has Arcane Reservoir, and he's a great generalist uh, all-around um, support henchman. So you're going to see him more often than not. So you should be expecting to play against seven cards. Kind of a good and a bad thing on her. Her keyword's really small right now. She only has, as far as I'm concerned, like two models, two, three models that are actually straight syndicate. Because operatives and rook are over in Umbra, I mean over in Dua, and then you have um, surveyors that are half seeker. So she doesn't have a lot of direct uh, like synergy across all of her models. But because all of her models are good in their own ways, you can kind of build her a, a few different paths. It does feel very fluffy as the the syndicate, right, amassing all of those different organizations. Yeah. That's a good call, though. I definitely do see this probably being a keyword that brings the most versatiles most easily. Yes, they are. As much as their keyword ability is very strong, it's also independent. So you don't really need to build up that bubble to keep them all going. You just need to kind of be able to fire some heals at them now and then and then just kind of let them go. We also are currently missing three models from the keyword that are in the outcast starter. We don't know what they do, but currently that box is scheduled to come out before Anya's even does, so we'll be seeing them soon, I think. This is there. Yeah, what else do you want to call out with her? Um, The bird? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Sovereign's pretty amazeballs. Yeah. I was going to say, Sovereign is definitely an amazing totem. Fly With Me is great. His damage track is great. His shockwave of Thunderstruck is also super, super great. And just throwing out stun when you're placing places, everything he does is awesome. I definitely can see him getting the flush with cash upgrade just to give him even more survivability because people are going to be going after Sovereign with anything that ignores armor. Yeah, I mean, I would say like a a theme condition for this keyword is stunned. Yeah. You see it on enough yeah. models to, to realize that's something that you're probably going to see up against Syndicate. And you'd probably use against Syndicate too. But <laughs> you should probably use it again. We haven't too. gotten to that point yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What else? Um, I mean, you really enjoy surveyors just in the sense that they can pop up the hazardous terrain. You can get the hook chain with on your heels relatively easily. So as much as they're move four, they're rather speedy. Yeah, I was going to say, surveyors are an interesting one for me because... They are a little slow, but Chain Gang helps them out early in the game. And then you also can get, they can throw up their own hazardous aura. So you can kind of get, you know, helps out that multiple different hazardous auras you're all pinging at once thing. But if, especially if you're bringing in Mr. Nagatoro and doing and obeying them, then now you can be saying, all right, I teleported forward with all my heal, threw up my hazardous aura, and now I'm getting obeyed to punch you. So you don't miss out on that second hit because you threw up your hazardous. You can still just get some obeys and keyword uh, out of keyword on versatiles. 
twice. Or have the bird thunderstruck <laughs> twice, which is Burr. also really great. Also, for what it's worth, Chain Gang is one of the, the few movement tricks in Keyword that does not depend on height. So you can Chain Gang the Rex forward if you bring it in out of Keyword. Just just a thought. That's true. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, before we get into gotchas, do you guys think Corvus is going to be showing up more in... More in Dua, Dua or Syndicate crews? Dua. I think... Yeah. Okay. That'll be a play style question. Yeah. Um, I, it feels like he's got just a bit more synergy in Dua, just because of the shadow markers. So he has more ability to use ungentlemanly affairs and to make pressure go off. Yeah. But I think he's also got a great role in Syndicate. I think it really depends on how well you enjoy pressure. If you see pressure as an optional thing that you do every now and then, um, then and you're really using him for that midfield scheming along with um, Winston, and you're just kind of like being really obnoxious, like Rook enjoys being, he's perfectly fine in either. If you're really if you're leaning into that pressure and that you know discard or obey kind of mechanic, just bring Nagatoro. It's just easier. Yeah, I definitely you're you're definitely seeing pressure more in Dua. I think in Syndicate Rook becomes more of the I'm going to be the the tar pit as much as this keyword can tar pit and just do everything I can to drain resources from your opponent. And if he can, hopefully use backroom dealings with like shooting through concealment to get a better idea of seeing your opponent's hand so that you know what's coming up and you can deal with it. Yep. Yep. He can be very speedy between hold here and there triggers and move six and slippery. So you can definitely get places and especially like he, his staggering punch has amazing triggers on it. I was just saying the fact that he can add in execute on his stat seven staggering punch or whatever is pretty brutal on your hand pressure, but then add that to the fact that you need to discard or be at a negative to punch him back uh, means he's bringing same with tell me what you know they have to discard or tell you one of their unrevealed schemes and models involved with it yep he's a very painful utility piece <laughs> uh what about the operatives same thing better in dua or i would probably say about even i think those are more in my mind they're a little more scheme dependent if i'm doing if i'm countering marker schemes or want to kind of bring that better saboteur I'll bring him in, but the fact that they can ignore concealment and my boards tend to have a lot of concealment ranks them high in anything that I want to do some pea shooter shots on. Yeah, I think you'll find more scheme markers in a syndicate game mm-hmm. um, to so make arson more relevant. Instead of first success. Yeah, instead of first success will come up a lot more often. Yeah, and they're they're shooting... I think you're going to have at least as much friendly fire in a syndicate keyword for them to get a positive off of. So they're they're still going to probably be at a positive flip on shooting. They just probably won't be at a double positive from shooting at friendly fire via concealment from an Umbra attack. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so I think the the pair of them, right, are just really well yeah. balanced between the two keywords. Yep. And so I think you'll find I think you'll find people that really like operatives, and you'll find people who really like surveyors, and you know I think. Where, whichever way you lean, you'll probably end up seeing those more often, whether or not they're exactly the best for a certain scheme pool, because they both have a little bit of a movement trick. They both have some range attacks. They both have a little bit, of, you know, they both do a, kind of the same roles. Okay, can we get in the gotchas then? 
Yeah. Um, a big one is all the potential hazardous this crew can do. Um, so between surveyors putting up, yeah, as I say, surveyors can put up their own bubble of hazardous terrain. They have chronicle geomancy to spit out more hazardous terrain. Anya makes ski markers in her line of sight hazardous. So you could potentially be pinging off of three different sources of hazardous terrain with any of their movement tricks, right? So that could, that's going to be a gotcha. If you're not paying attention for it, you're not like, aware of like that setup happening, um, that can be dangerous. Yeah. Also, I think it's, it's worth a, a call out on expansionist. Enemy models treat friendly scheme markers within Anya's line of sight as, and the area next to them as hazardous. So to prevent confusion, enemy models treat Anya's friendly scheme markers as hazardous since the friendly is on her card. Yep. 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 Good call. Out. Oh goodness. Probably be even worse. Yeah. Another potential gotcha is kind of like similar to Chase mentioned, like the Lady J connections. One thing I always tend to do with Anya is I pick out a weak model and I delete it pretty much every round just by moving really quick, doing a bleeding edge, and then doing some attacks that then just give me generally better cards on top of my deck after I discard stuff. So if you have a model that likes to hang close to the fight, but be kind of protected by one or two bigger models, she can get there and she can delete it. Um, And even if you don't, you can still activate the next round and get away before somebody can really do a lot of damage to her. So having those, those linchpin weaker models like machinists or tanukis or something like that, that you have, that's just close enough for Anya to get, get to is exactly what she wants to see. Yeah. That's a real good call out. Cause she, she really is just this, I want to say missile, but that's too straightforward. She, she is a, I don't know, exploding bouncy ball dropping down the <laughs> stairs. I mean, that sounds about right. Love yeah. Blender. <laughs> yes. I like it. <laughs> so how do we deal with her? Yeah. Oh, well, there was, oh, what was it? this is going to happen like once every five games, but someone's going to get tilted by the combination of backroom dealings and red and black. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For those of you that don't know what that is, Corvus's bonus action lets uh, forces your opponent to reveal their control hand. And if you just keep track of the suits they have in their control hand, then you can just declare two suits they don't have in that hand with Winston's ram trigger on his sharp wit, basically guaranteeing a um, obey with that. Yep. Also worth noting that the sellout trigger is quite fun to declare against like weakling totems and you're just mining soul stones at that point. Yeah. So like, I love to smack Colette's doves with Winston because uh, like the doves will probably overextend and I want to get up to the center line anyway to start dropping some scheme markers. So I'll run up and uh, price or progress that crow and just get a soul stone. You're a bad man. Those doves have never done anything to hurt you. <laughs> they explode. <laughs> the best thing to take souls is from. They're just walking soul stones. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's, let's just, let's destroy syndicate here. Roman, we've been talking. You want to take over? Sure. So again, we kind of have a theme of, of self-damage with the price of progress and not really much healing in keyword. I personally expect to see lamplighters out of keyword with this crew, but maybe that's just me to help with that. 
any kind of marker removal you have, whether it's marker removal for the geodes for one point of hazardous or regular scheme markers in general to remove Anya's hazardous cesspits that she drops, both good there. Uh, and then you have your if there's a lot of non-marker schemes in the pool, I don't expect that you're going to see these guys too much just because they seem to like doing things with markers. Uh, but really the, the biggest two things I think are stunned because a lot of their stuff is triggers. Uh, and if they can't do triggers, a lot of their stuff just doesn't work. Uh, and just in general, they're glass cannons. Like they, especially Anya or in, in her totems case and sovereign's case, it's you know a metal cannon, but it's still only six wounds of metal cannon. So bring you, you know there's going to be armor in a syndicate crew because they have sovereign. So bring anti armor, bring the bird down, and the rest of the the rest of them kind of fall afterwards. Yep, I was going to say there's been very few games that where the bird has not been taken out as quickly as possible. Extreme print. <laughs> who's got the angry cat <laughs> maybe um, but I mean that's a good point Anya and the bird if you let them do their thing they're super oppressive you're going to be like oh my god I can't do anything about this but if you engage them now the bird can't fly with me Anya can't bleeding edge away so either needs to disengage which means she can't drop ski markers then or she can't interact or she, or she needs to use a master AP to push models away. Yep, which means she's <laughs> not moving. Sorry, the cat's going nuts. <laughs> That's me. Kai, Kai is afraid of the uh, the Roomba that has come on downstairs, and despite being a whole a whole like staircase above it, it's just like, nope. I hear you in there. I want in to be afraid. Okay, well, sorry, sorry. Uh, I figured it was Roman because nobody else is. Things were moving. <laughs> yep. Yes. Anything we didn't mention? Oh, obeys. If you have access to obeys, use them. Because you can always make your opponent, opposing model at the very least take a damage. But they have quite a bit of stuns on their cards. So you can force one of their models to give another one of their models stunned and get a free damage out of the process. Good, good, good. It's not that common of an ability, so obviously don't rely on it unless you have it but a suggestion from good old doug yep and yeah, i mean and one. i mentioned before they also have a small hiring pool so there's no real big beater that you can bring you can bring rook i guess who is great if you're in base contact with him so he's not really holding down an area or engaging a bunch of people at once your best bet would be your six stone surveyors and they're not going to stand up for very long without a, somebody feeding them heals so as Roman said, if if they can't run away and scheme, they're probably all going to go down. Yeah, and with that, I, again, I think this is, and we don't know what's going to happen when the uh, Outcast starter box comes out to change this. This is going to be another keyword where the uh, you're going to see more out of keyword and versatile hires uh, like the Rex or possibly Kaya. But I think with Kaya, you need to bring something to give her shielded. A little more often so yeah yeah i think out of keyword kia loses something you i mean you lose a lot of the support which makes kia scary in evs less scary outside of it. 
Yeah. But you can still fly with me. You can still use Winston the pusher. Nope, you cannot. Oh, you can't do flies. Oh, I forgot size you moved three. to size, size three. Oh. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> no, I will not. Uh, <laughs> we'll probably think that she's not. And you gotta, like, hey. She's large. Uh, one thing that is not exactly a syndicate thing, but more an explorer's thing, is I will be not. I will not be surprised if people buy the Anya box for for Winston to begin with, and for Anya both as out of key picks into other crews. Anya as just a relatively cheap, incredibly fast scheme runner to just do all the backfield schemes while everyone else does stuff up front, and then Winston for some heal and some arcane reservoir. I don't even know if people are going to play Syndicate. They're just just going to use her models and other keywords. <laughs> that's a good call out, I think. You think, uh, never mind, that's, that's pointless. I was going to ask if you think um, Winston's coming with her in the box or not. Yeah. But that doesn't... I would think that the box would be Anya, the bird, Winston, and the surveyors. Because then you'll probably see Rook and the operatives in their own box. Yeah, that would make sense. You have the starter box, and that should, I think, from what we've seen, that would be the whole keyword. Yeah. It is weird you're getting a dual keyword model in a master box, but they're doing that with Zoraida, so whatever. Okay. Why don't we talk about the, the last thing that's that's not specific to a master, but some a point that needs to be made, uh, and that is terrain. You need to... A lot of, as noted before, a lot of keywords, a lot of masters really care about terrain and can use it to their advantage. And so you need to make sure your board is properly set up with terrain and diverse terrain. Um, not too much, not too little. What's the what's the magical number there, Roman? What percentage? 50%. Okay. Was it 35 so, to 45? I think it's 50 as of the last gaining grounds, but I honestly haven't looked at it because our boards are fairly packed anyway. A lot. <laughs> a lot of different kinds of terrain yeah one thing that i've definitely noticed playing with against explorers is it's made me make better tables because before you know against other ones yeah you scatter some 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 concealing around you throw some buildings you're done you know actually block some charge lanes so you can't just walk everywhere and that's pretty much all you need but with you know with explorers models if you have a giant piece of terrain and you're up against jezza Good luck, best wishes. You know, it, she's targeting six-year models, and then the, the goo is sliding through and giving everyone poison. Same thing if you, Ugh. you know, a bunch of concealment or have none against Cooper. All those ones are, there's just so many bad matchups if you just make a really light tournament-style board. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, fair. Feelings there. Right? Not that we've ever played on those tournament boards before. <laughs> well, I mean, I haven't, but. <laughs> yeah, sounds like you guys need to talk to your your local TOs. Oh, sorry, uh, Roman cut out. So I was just waiting for <laughs> the rest of the sentence there. Uh, okay, um, so that's that's the emphasis we got to say on terrain at the last little bit. That's that's everything covered, really. So you know, perfectly manageable faction. Um, so y'all can be, y'all can calm down. You got, you got ways to go about earning a win and you're probably still going to lose a little bit just because you're not familiar with the models, but that's fine. It'll, it'll even out. It'll even out. Just be patient and learn as quickly as you possibly can. But just for fun, fun salt, saltsies, we're going to say saltsies. I'm going to ask these three gentlemen, uh, who they think out of this entire faction 
is going to need an emergency errata. You can't you can't say no one. So so I'll give me your best bet. Just for fun. We'll we'll see if it pans out that way or or if not. Not everyone at once. We're talking keywords or are we talking models? Uh either, really. Mm. Probably probably models is because you don't you don't nerf an entire keyword. You, or at least you don't you don't tend to. You don't tend to. I if it were keywords, I think the two keywords in my mind that could possibly get something would be Dua and Cadmus. Actually, well, I mean, I guess now I'm just saying, yeah, Dua and Cadmus, because both of them have that pile-on kind of feel sometimes. And when, if we, if somebody really gets good at them and starts firing on all cylinders, it's going to be feeling really oppressive, and people will be able to kind of copy that mechanic over to their own games easier than like a Jezza crew can just read a fact and figure out how to do it. And I can't think of any model specifically that's so far above the curve that I feel like it's going to be instigating that whole affair. Yeah. I guess I think about the effigy emissary, the aura Mm. of courage. And I wonder if there's some combination that we never caught that creates just like a, a feel bad across the table i think we did a good job of limiting that i think the aura of influence of that is you know relatively short ranged but i think i'm worried if there's some weird healing interaction that comes up and then just like curb stomps folks yep i do feel like they're going to be kind of one of those factions where since they just don't have kind of like neverborn in a way where they just don't have a lot of healing the models that do heal well you're going to see a lot so I don't necessarily think Winston is OP, but I do think he's going to show up a lot for people who want a little bit of extra cards, a little bit of movement, and a little bit of healing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's a generalist enough that he's always going to find something good to do most rounds. Same with the lamplighters, honestly. Exactly. Same with lamplighters. It's the faction itself just has some needs, and anything that's filling that is going to show up a lot. I think for me, the if I had to pick a, a keyword or a specific model in it, it would probably also be Cadmus. I don't know what specific model I would point at, uh, just because it, it. I I keep wondering if there is a if there's an issue somewhere in the Will of Cadmus upgrade. Again, kind of like you guys were talking. I think we we went through all the the ways we we tested it in play tests and i think we ironed it out pretty well uh and and ran it through the ringer but i i'm still concerned that there's something that we missed of like oh that's not really how that feels it should work i think if that happens though it would probably be more of a a new gaining ground scheme interacting with it accidentally and then they would need to to errata the scheme itself and be like wait (laughs) asterisk this doesn't work like that for Cadmus. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, since Cadmus, like the operatives, have so many interesting interacts with that, turning people friendly and stuff like that, I can definitely see some weird combination of things just being either not fact correctly or just not being looked at that everyone, when they realize that there's like, oh my gosh, um, out of that ASAP. Yep. Okay, well... Yeah, I think that's good. I think we did a good job covering this. I think we were very fair and honest and not panicky because we are good, smart people. 
Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Roman, specifically. Anytime. You know me. And Chase, specifically. Well, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yes. And of course, specifically, most of all, is John. (laughs) Thanks. I only only came because this is my computer. Uh, and 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 specifically uh the ghost of rob who is uh taking a vow of silence so uh, thank you rob but uh thank you guys for listening and enjoy the new faction playing them and playing as them and as i always say we always say fun is always king have fun out there good night good night you guys can say goodbye now. <laughs> bye. bye yeah there we go that's better songs used in this production are Villainous Treachery and Five Card Shuffle. All music is created by Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.